I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch Into the Woods, the Stephen Sondheim musical. Is that what we're covering, Aaron? Into the Woods? Into the Woods, it's time to go. I hate to leave, I have to, though. Into the Woods, it's time, and so I must begin my journey. Into the Woods and through the trees to where I am expected, ma'am. Into the Woods to Grandmother's house. I was going to try to, like, sing a song from it as a, like, uh affirmative in song form and then i realized they don't know any songs from into the woods is it like i'm lost in the woods uh no, that's it's, a Kanye uh, song hold on okay into the woods into the woods what are we gonna do there get in the woods <laughs> okay now it'll probably play we're gonna open up this month you probably just heard a song from into the woods <laughs> right <at that> break. <laughs> aaron hello Great, Peter. We did Greetings. it. We opened up a new month, a very exciting month, with a song from a musical that I've only seen the movie version and don't like. And my guess is you don't. You've never seen. Uh, all I know about In the Woods is that it stars uh, or it features Chris Pine, which I think is funny. Uh, he's funny in the movie. The, yeah, the movie's not good, but people. Well, no, explain. it's funny when they say Chris Pine during the opening credits. And it's like pine woods. Yeah. They should have just had uh, actors who reference woods. Do you think that Chris Pine, first of all, Chris Pine, best Chris. Do you think that Chris Pine, when he wanted something as a kid or maybe as like a teenager, little got the acting bug, got a little to got a little into Shakespeare. He would say it by going, I pine. <laughs> I'm, I'm pining for it. I pine, which also is a good way to introduce yourself, specifically if you're Chris Pine. I think pine. he's handsome enough he can say whatever he you wants. Say wha- he this, this dude can <laughs> say whatever he wants. He, he, could, he could constantly drop dad jokes and people would be like, you're so sweet. Here's my bra. <laughs> What's your favorite Chris? I, I think it has to be between Pine and Evans. And just based on the past 10 seconds and the image that I've conjured in his, in my head, I'm going to say Pine. Yeah, I go Pine, Evans, Hemsworth, <laughs> Spacebar, Spacebar, Spacebar. Oh, Pratt. Man, man, it is it is crazy how uh, how, how the Pratty have fallen. Yeah, yeah. The Pratt stock went down. No one picks Pratt. <sighs> unless you're a Pratt, which I think is an English insult. Uh, I think Heidi did. She picked Spencer Pratt. Spencer. So what's this stupid show, Aaron? What's what are we doing? What's stupid fucking show? Uh, we deserve to be murdered in a cabin. Well, and which is great because we're, it's October. Spooktober, as some people like us refer to it incessantly. Um, and we're starting a new month. And we've, you know, it's it's our most holiest time of the year. And and so every month, come every year comes a conundrum of what, what are we going to do? For Halloween. And it is our, I think, fifth Halloween doing this show, Peter. Yeah. Fifth October doing this show. Doing this stupid fucking show. And we're like, you know what? We've held on to movies that we love for so long. Because we're like, well, at some point we got to save some. We we can't just come out of the gate doing our favorite movies of all time. We got to save some big ones. And... At some point, we all we have realized a 
you don't need to save all the big ones. There's so many big ones. Yeah. You, you only get to 50 a year, you'll be fine. And two, we've really not changed our saving concept. So we realized it's a problem. But we're still hoarders. We're still movie hoarders. And so this time, there's an intervention. People are coming to their house and they're saying, clear the deck! And in this case, the deck is all the Evil Dead movies. All you say? All you say? Yes, I say it. It's all of them. We're doing Evil Dead, followed by, or we're, sorry, we're, we're doing The Evil Dead, followed by Evil Dead, the remake, Evil Dead 2, colon, Dead by Dawn, uh, Army of Darkness, <laughs> Army of Darkness, which should have kept its original title, Medieval Dead. Oh, and such a good fucking title. I, I, Army of Darkness title. rules, but like yeah. Medieval Dead is so much better. <laughs> such a great title. Uh, and then we're wrapping it up with doing a full look for our Halloween special at the uh, long time in the making. Like one of the first things I looked up on the fucking internet in like the the late nineties was like Evil Dead Four question mark. <laughs> Uh, they never got the Evil Dead 4, but they did get Ash versus the Evil Dead, the 30-episode run on Stars, uh, starring Bruce Campbell. I've only seen the first season of it, uh, which I loved quite a bit. I just, you know, show sometimes. You just don't get back into it when you were expecting to. So I'm going to do a, a full... you're relying on a channel you don't have to watch. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I... Uh, so we're doing we're doing uh, the, full, the full run. We're going to highlight specific episodes. Um... That uh, like eight or so episodes that we want to talk about in in more detail, but still covering the expanse of the show. So it is a packed month, uh, and we don't. I don't know. It's Deadite Month, Evil Dead Month. Yeah, Deadies. The Dead ain't right. Ash Month. Ash. Yeah. I mean, this is this is fun because uh, we're both very positive on the evil dead series in general including the remake and including the show yeah so uh it's not like we're not gonna find flaws in the series we're not gonna find uh different different sort of extrapolations than you've heard before i think uh but i think we're gonna i i, I think we're gonna have to um dig a little bit on ash versus evil dead and the evil dead remake to make sure people know like this shit is worth checking out because i think both of them have a bad rep maybe yeah I, I have no idea what evil deads the remakes uh reputation is at i think this it's point. coming back because of the director yeah i feel like the horror nerds that we hang out with in the dissolve are really positive on it it definitely was like kind of middling like it was it was subject to a lot of like three three and a half star out of like five over reviews. the plate horror exercise kind of reviews yeah interesting but doesn't hold a candle to like the original Evil Dead. And I, I think that's true. Like, I, I quite like the remake. And I think it's an extremely successful remake. Uh, and probably the only level of successful remake you can do without Bruce Campbell. Which <laughs> this series becomes so uh, in, in, indemnifies with him. Or identifies with him so much. Like, that you almost can't uh, separate the two after this first movie like Evil Dead 2 Army of Darkness are just so iconic not just as like these amazingly directed goofy splatter filled especially Evil Dead 2 horror movies it also is almost like the perfect marriage between um, material and the lead actor who stars in it so uh, to the point that like almost everything Bruce Campbell did in the rest of his career a lot of it I like quite a bit but it's always the most closest to successful 
as it gets closer to playing Ash. Like, I, tight cast might not be the right word, but it is, like, the more Ash he is like, the better he is in the movie. Like, that is the role he was born to play. I, I mean, it's an yeah. overused cliche, but, like, that that's it. Like, and, it's and, just and so we, perfect. And we uh, did, over the summer, a horror remakes we think are successful or we are did. generally Can't considered successful and whether or not we think that that holds true. And uh, one of the things that really helps those movies soar very often is uh, not uh, holding them to the candle of the original film. Yeah. Um, holding them as whatever they are in their own and seeing how they playfully interact with the original. Uh, yeah, no, the Evil Dead remake was literally never going to be um, as important as Singular as the first film because uh, the first film changed film history forever. <laughs> like the first film changed and inspired an entire generation like that. There's no there is no uh, there's no modern horror without Evil Dead. No, um, Without the there's, there's no idea of like being an art, like having a perspective and an arty cheap horror movie without Evil Dead. Like Evil Dead was the one like, we're going to do this on the cheap, but I'm Sam Raimi. And as a director, I have a lot of things I, I want to do. Like, I'm not going to hide behind the camera. Like, you're going to see me. I'm going to do a bunch of stuff. And while you won't see my face, you're going to see what the camera is doing. And then on top of that, like, not only did it inspire, like, a generation of filmmakers, a way to shoot um, low-budget horror movies stylistically, um, and a lot of things like that. It also, like, even just from a practical standpoint, like, the mo- we'll talk about this. The model that Sam Raimi, Rob Tabbert, and Bruce Campbell used to make Evil Dead was copied by the Coen brothers, specifically who were friends with them. And were like, oh, we're going to make... We we have a we have a, a first film too, Blood Simple. We're gonna do their same method of raising money to make that movie. Uh, after working with them, or I think just Joel worked with them a little bit editing this movie. The editing company that they hired, uh, there was a, the, the editor uh, herself. Uh, the assistant editor was Joel Cohen. Yeah. So like, not only do you have like the 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 mo- like. There's so many things that come from this movie specifically. Everything from Sam Raimi as a director, which gave us the modern superhero era. Like, do we have the Iron Mans and everything else without Spider-Man 2002? I would posit probably not. Like, that was the injection after Burton's Batman that that genre was looking for and kind of carried over till Iron Man and Dark Knight gave it more life. But, like, without that, do you have that level of you know, uh, ability to kind of get from point A to point B. And then, yeah, like, you don't have Big Lebowski. You don't have, like, and think of all the things the Coen brothers. Like, it is amazing. I I feel like there was some other movie, Peter, we talked about a couple years ago that was, like, this weird, like, great movie on its own, but also this, like, almost, uh, I don't know what you call it. Like, if you're looking at a family tree, it's like, oh, that one guy is responsible for, like, Germany. was it like was it like the Fred Decker or Dan, o- Dan O'Bannon thing where like Dan O'Bannon was like weirdly connected in with like a, a lot of the great auteurs that like reshaped how we look at horror movies like he was yeah maybe that was Hill, it. Maybe, yeah Ridley Scott and uh, and obviously John Carpenter. 
Maybe. Maybe it was Alien. Um, I forget. But there was some movie that we were just like, look at how, like, it just goes and goes. Um, yeah. It's like the Genghis Khan of movies. Yeah, like, Night of the Night of the Creeps for sure had that sort of thing, but it, it Alien, didn't have yeah. the it didn't have nearly the impact of Evil Dead. So like the uh, the Evil Dead. So like yeah, the, the 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 footprint on this film is massive, and it's not just that like it's not just that it made Sam Raimi a name, and then Sam Raimi changed Hollywood. It's that the film itself changed how, uh, as Aaron said, like it changed how impressionism in indie films works not just horror films but like impressionism like indie filmmakers like even people like kevin smith who made like the opposite of horror movies for the yeah. first 20 years of his career or 25 years of his career uh, he made the opposite of horror movies um he uh even he was like inspired by sam raimi and like his ability to just like shit you you scrounge for every dollar you make the you put as much of your soul into this thing as you can, but you do not make something that you can easily sell necessarily. You make something that is uh, uh, representative of who you and your crew's uh, yeah. personality is. Uh, personalities yeah. are, I should say. Here, um, here's thirty minutes of what we're bringing to the table. Insane story. Insane yeah. story. Yeah, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, and the other thing that is like. Even from a personal note, um, and I'm sure I'm not the only person with a story like this, like, we've talked about, like, where I started getting interested in horror films. It wasn't wasn't something I was immediately drawn to, but it was after seeing Army of Darkness and Evil Dead 2 that I was like, I need to see more movies like that. That's the kind of horror stuff I like. Um, and Evil Dead 2 brought me to Dead Alive, which I was like, yes, this is great. It's just like... It's so over the top and like spectacular and well directed. And then that eventually led me to Dawn of the Dead. And that led me to being a horror fan. And that led me to doing this podcast, like Spooktober, this podcast, everything we're doing. Like, I'm not saying there wouldn't have been another path there potentially as a movie lover. Like, I wouldn't have got there somewhere. But at, at the end of the day, it was these movies that grabbed me. And I started showing evangelically to friends in high school that had never seen them and making, you know, and when you ran into someone that had seen these and loved these movies, it was like an instant, holy shit, yeah, it's so good. Um, because they weren't necessarily contemporary with me. You know, I discovered them a little later. Uh, so I, and I think that's actually like, there's a reason why these, these films have, um, continue to have fans. It's it's why Bruce Campbell's been able to, you know, continue to kind of be a figure in in the horror community and everything I else. Two like, or three of his books, like that. I did that. Yeah. If Chins Could Kill, I read when I was in film school, and it like was the best. I. I was uh, not in film school, but t- but doing a film major and taking a lot of film classes and making my own movies, and I read a bunch of film books and the best one was if chins could kill he has like half of that book detailing the making of evil dead and how they came up with problem solution the way they would approach things and specific ways they learned how to use the camera like while i'm trying to figure out how to get a dolly shot done they're like yes strap it to a two by four and run it it's like (laughs) oh shit and they did this for when they were 18 19 and 22 i think rob taper was 20 was the oldest of the the three main michigan crew and he was yeah 22 at the times so they were all they were all babies uh sam raimi and bruce campbell dropped out of school i don't know if taper did or if he was already graduated or you know and already moved on but um essentially these guys all like put everything on hold put risked quite a bit <laughs> yeah um, bruce campbell especially 
Yeah. I, I didn't know the story. I forgot, or I forgot it, that he took a loan out against his parents' farm on collateral. They yep. didn't pay back the loan. It was to, it wasn't to fund the film. It was to fund blowing up the film from 16 millimeter to 35 millimeter. Yeah. So they Which could is show just like, basically theaters. like the movie's done. You like the movie. So how much do you believe in the movie? And Bruce Campbell's yeah. like, I really fucking believe in the movie. <laughs> like, um, it's, 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 it's an amazing story. And I want to take a step back because there's something you said that. <clears throat> then after you take a step back, I want to take two more steps back and then we're going to plow forward. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the evangelical thing you mentioned, I have shown Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness to more people in my circle and I've watched it with my friends more than any movie ever because I got into it in junior high. Yeah. It is a fucking party movie. It's a movie yeah. that you can you can a group of sober people, a group of drunk people, whatever. You just get a bunch of people that you generally like together in a room and you're all going to have a blast watching this thing because it's yeah. hilarious. It rewards you and five second loops but also yeah. rewards you if you're a patient viewer and you're waiting out for like little character arcs to happen like it, it, it it's it's it very much takes after cartoons and the series eventually takes very much after cartoons in that way where it's rewarding you for um with little comedy snips and little you know the first movie isn't very funny but we'll get to that later um the it rewards you in these little comedy loops, these little rewarding um, action loops. Um, that means that, like, you can put on this movie, wander out of the room to grab a beer, come back, and you are still watching the same damn movie. And you still, you're like, oh, shit, that girl's dead. But, you know, Ash still has to fight his way out of the cabin. Like, they're easy to follow. And yep. these were movies that made me and my friends want to make movies. Like, this is when, this is the sort of movie that made me and my friends be like, I just want to figure out how squibs work. I just want to figure yeah. out how blood packs. Work. Oh, that's how I can make blood mix. Like that's not too bad. Like I can I can figure that out. Like my mom's had a bottle of Caro syrup in the back of the cabinet for seven years, right? Like yeah, uh, I can I can I can figure this out. And that's like why me and my friends made like all these sadly lost to times, like little <laughs> murder movies of us just doing like essentially special effects reels, and we never actually got got it together to like make a full length movie like we planned like we planned this whole movie it was taking place in the neighborhood and we were gonna do some stuff during the winter so the blood could splash in the snow and like all of this shit and then eventually um you know life life took over uh the beer got more interesting than the than the movie making but mm -hmm. the 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 part that was that was there always was this like passion for filmmaking and this like this spark and excitement for filmmaking because like Ultimately, I can watch, I can watch uh, a Ari Aster film or a Kubrick film or uh, you know a, a lot of these more sort of like um, sober, reflective, internalized films by myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I and I I like talking about it like with maybe like one or two friends like quietly over coffee or something, but it's not like. I'm like, shit, dude, you got to see, you got to see this part in Midsummer. So she's really sad and she's walking away from this thing that's sad and she's Her sad. relationship's <laughs> over. Everything's <laughs> fucked, dude. It's, it's awesome. Like, that's not how you, that's not how you talk. I don't know if I would call what happens to her boyfriend consent. Right, dude? <laughs> Up top. Like, that's, you get what I'm saying. Those movies yeah. have, have a deep amount of impact on me, yeah. but it's more of an internalized singular impact that you maybe share with like one other person. It's, it's not something where I'm like, I don't care 
who is in the room, if you want to make a movie, let's go fucking make a movie kind of a deal. And that's why these movies are magic, because anybody watches them when they're over and they go, they some combo of how the fuck did they do that? And I could do that. I could do that. Yeah. And it, like, I don't think anyone who watched Friday the 13th, besides maybe some people wanted to make money, like were like, oh shit, like I, I don't, like there's more to filmmaking than um, than pointing a camera at something. Like there's more to it than having money to just put whatever you see on screen. And like I, I mean, I remember my first like my my uh, so I shot a bunch of stuff on eight millimeter because I was taking like film classes in college, so they had all the material and all this stuff. Um, and then eventually shooting on digital, and my all my films were not lost to time; they were lost to a thief that stole my video camera, which had in the bag all my tapes that I'd like, you know, because you can't just, like, take your 8mm film home. Like, what are you, how are you going to play it? Um, yeah, so, like, they, they would dub it onto, you know, they would dub it into a computer and they'd put it on, like, a tape that you could pl- play it or edit it later on a on a videotape. And all that was stolen uh, from me. And, like, still something I think about, like, we'll wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, fuck. Why don't I don't have anything? It's all gone. Yeah, like it's that's really nice that's really sad. Of, it's yeah. nice to have a body of work of shit that's like retained forever. And like I think about all those like MP4 files that were lost on somebody because they uh, porned their computer to death. Uh, yeah, like that was well, my yeah. story. Was that we we shot all these amazing like highlight reels and cool little like funny comedy horror shorts, and then like somebody's computer died, and I was like, oh well, I guess that that's done. I guess we're done. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I but I still remember like my first like the first assignment of my first film class was they gave us like eight millimeter. You you had to buy your own film. The first one had to be black and white and no sound because they're like, well, this is how it's gonna work. And like the first thing I did was like I didn't do Evil Dead because I had a minute, but I did that concept of like calm, 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 completely over the top. And it essentially was like my minute film was. Um, like just 50 seconds of someone getting ready for bed, you know, brushing teeth, putting on pajamas, like, uh, you know, putting some stuff in the garbage, like stuff like that. And then gets to his bed and a giant hand reaches out, you know, drags him to the ground. You see like the shot underneath the bed of him screaming and he gets violently and quickly yanked under the bed, which we use by making a table look like a bed and having three people pull really like and then an arm coming out with like an insane amount of blood that we made with the with the Bruce Campbell recipe, like just splatter everywhere. And like that was it. And it was it was like it's not like uh, it's it's you know, it's, it's nothing like special or great, but like it was like, oh, I see I see why this movie works. And so it made so much sense for me for my first one to be like, I'm going to do that same tone in a in a 60 second eight millimeter film. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that hunger for problem solving. Right. Like that yep. hunger for like, well, how do we get to my vision? Um, yeah. Even how do it, I even if it's going to take us, you know, 10 trials and like the first three attempts we make it is going to look like shit. Like, how do we get to what we want? Uh, it's yeah, such a such well. That was the bed. That was thing. the bed problem too. It's like, well, you can't. What? Who has a bed that you can pull someone underneath it? That's like, a, you know, um, that's like. A, so we just made our kitchen table. We draped it with it. We shot it at an angle so it looked like a bed. Um, like we had him stand so he looked when he when we do a sh- like. It's all that like we can figure this out without a budget and that whole. You know, that was that was all like student filmmaking. It was how can I make this interesting and um, kind of show what I'm seeing in my head 
with no budget. And like and that was what that that movie meant to me. It was what like the book and the story of making it meant to me. But uh I feel like we just knocked out a good part of what we want to talk about with uh what Evil Dead means to us. But I I think there's two things I want to mention. One is going to be a pause in everything we talked about because we we got into this so quickly that if you're wondering where the fuck are Spooktober recaps or going, thank God they're not doing Spooktober recaps, we decided to do those in their own little mini episodes each week. So we're recording this a little bit before October and, and love that part of both recording it and Peter and I talking about it. Sometimes, though, it gets away in us talking about the movies and especially for the Evil Dead movies. It made sense for us to not be like oh, shit, we don't have time to talk about Evil Dead 2, whoopsie-daisies. So, uh, we are going to release them as separate episodes, both um, uh, maybe not on a weekly basis, maybe like uh, a couple check-ins, a uh, something to frame up what our lists are going to be, what we're excited about, and then a wrap-up episode like we did last year. So, look for those if, if you're wondering why we're not talking about that, why we haven't mentioned it. Uh and if you weren't interested in any of that to begin with, great news. You know exactly which ones to skip. Uh, and then getting right back into what we just said. Um, the other reason I think why these movies and, – and I don't want to like steal from what I'm going to talk about with Army of Darkness. So I'm just going to say the other reason why these movies felt so vibrant and I loved – like I just – I just – I really did just like, oh, yeah, these are my movies. Like – these are mine, and I'm going to show them to people, and these are going to be my movies, and I'm going to talk about them incessantly, and I'm going to think about them, and I'm going to get posters, and do they have action figures? I didn't know I wanted an action figure, but I want that now, and, you know, like, it just became that instantly for me, and I think it's because while it um, is fun and scary and gory and a party movie, it also, like, accomplishes something that most movies don't do which is kind of give you everything you would want in a movie that was really my experience army of of darkness like i don't mean to sound like flippant when you go hey it'd be it'd be great if the guy going back in time didn't care about the timelines <laughs> or like giving people revealing his future magic and could just i don't know drive his car around and fight like all these things that like movies because of some i don't even know the reason like they just never did the thing that I wanted them to do, which why is, is yeah. Why is Back to the Future taking the past as seriously as Primer does? Yeah, or just like, or just like anything, like oh, here's someone who has to care about what he's doing. Like, no, he doesn't want to be in this situation. He's going to let everyone know. It just it framed everything so differently, but in a way that instantly was like, yes, I've wanted to see a movie that does this, like. And maybe I didn't put it into words, but, like, someone made that movie. And it was the same thing with Evil Dead 2. It was like, yeah, why can't he, when he loses his arm, attach a chainsaw to it? Like, why can't a giant monster just form out of a portal? And, like, you know, uh, why can't the, um, the, the evil not just be scary and gory, but also just, like, be goofy and fuck with someone? Like, yeah, why can't the evil, the evil, uh, be sort of seeming to take their time and relishing in the pain, but not in a like sex, a serious movie sort of sex pervert way. Uh, yeah. More in a like uh, clownish kind of quality. Yeah. And I, 
I always wanted that from movies. And I, I mean, that's probably not surprising if you've listened to the show. It's probably not surprising to you, Peter. I talk about how much, like, when we did Bug Nuts Month and how much I like maximalism in movies and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, yeah, you can do whatever you want. There's no rules. So this, like, self-imposed, I can't do that because it's not realistic, almost always leads to the less interesting choice. And and going like I think we called our you know that first month where we highlighted movies like that like Goke and Hausu and stuff like that like you know like bug nuts like why if you have an idea why not do it like what does it matter like if it's fun if it's entertaining if you think it would make for um for good entertainment like what is holding you back why does your movie have to be serious and I think even like. I don't want to use like Friday the 13th and like other like slasher movies that were coming out around the same time as Evil Dead as an example because I do get some enjoyment out of those. But those are like for as fun as people say those movies are, they're still like serious. You know, they're serious into the fun is like the ridiculous levels the filmmakers go to to create unique deaths. But the movies themselves are not fun for the most part. Like um, the Burning is a is a movie that also came out in 1981, also a movie we both love. Like, the reason that we love that movie so much, if I'm going to put words in your mouth, Peter, and I think we talked about this on the episode, is like, it has the gall to to kill off all the campers suddenly an hour into the movie and then leave, like, three people left. Like, we're not going to kill people once at, one at a time. We're going to kill the whole camp in one fell swoop. And you go, that's, like, fun in a story construction mode in a subversion of still early developing tropes and a lot of other things that's like fun as a horror viewer to watch but the movie itself i don't know if i would call it fun in the same way that like especially evil dead 2 and army of darkness is and even the original evil dead to somewhat of a lesser extent yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, the, uh, it's infectious. The fun, like that's yeah. what separates it. I think is like, uh, we watch some horror movies for the the pure cold experience of it, um, but we watch some, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, it was great to live in this intense moment for a little bit and then get to say goodbye, close the door, and and you know whatever all that yeah. you're left with is memories and nightmares. Like, but with Evil Dead, um. <laughs> Sam Raimi seems to be telling you jokes and I'm not saying like, you know, just dialogue jokes, but Sam Raimi seems to be finding little like little hooks to get you uh, entertained in little five second loops in a way that like um, I really, really appreciate when I'm watching a movie like this because it it's not that it's rewarding me for having ADHD, but it is rewarding me for like uh, engaging with it on its weird level because the filmmaker is saying, hey. I could have given you a boring ass cabin, you know, zombie movie. Could have given that to you very easily. Uh-huh. Instead, I'm going to have a dialogue with you. Um, and I'm going to not only just try and keep you sort of like a ringleader, like keep you on the hook this whole time. But I want you to know a little bit about me and the filmmaker, the, the other filmmakers while I'm doing it. And, and, and the fact that he's just like... He's so gleeful in tossing all these film techniques in. It does feel like a Tex Avery cartoon. Yeah, it does. Which, I mean, makes sense, too. Like, he, I mean, he was inspired by Three Stooges shorts. He didn't particularly like horror movies. Well, you know, like, Sam Raimi is like, I don't really like horror movies. I didn't really want to make a horror movie. 
I realized that was my best chance to to um to get a budget and like get a movie out there because like that would play and I could, you know, follow this path to get these distributors and stuff like that. But he's like, if I'm going to make a horror movie, I'm going to make it doing a bunch of essentially like comedic moves that I want my camera to do. And that's definitely extremely present in Evil Dead and then obviously gets ramped up to a ridiculous degree in Evil Dead 2 and then from from there on out. Um, But it makes a lot of sense. Like, this is a great horror movie, but it's also by someone who had more to say than like, I'm not doing this because I love horror necessarily. I'm not doing this because I want to make a bunch of money. I'm doing it because I want to articulate a directorial vision. Um, and if, and if a horror movie is the best way for me to, like you said, Peter, put myself out there and say, this is like what I'm doing, um, I'll do it and I'll, I'll do a fucking damn good job at it. Um, and I, that, I think, you know, normally I, you know, we, 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 on Star Trek, we sometimes talk about how like, or we haven't talked about it yet, but we'll talk about how some of the worst Star Trek movies are by people that hate Star Trek. And sometimes when there's people that come into these franchises that produce horrible entries and are like, yeah, cause I always thought it sucked. Now we're going to do it good. And it's like, oh, well you're missing the point. This is actually one of those areas where like, Sam Raimi doesn't hate horror movies. He just isn't a particular fan of them. And he's like, so he looked at it from a different perspective. He didn't look at it from here's what I need to do to make it successful or here's here's what I need to do to make a successful horror movie. He looked at it from how do I make a Sam Raimi movie and in, in a in a horror like costume. And it was it's amazing that it worked out that well. Yeah, and 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 I the sense I get from interviews is uh, I can't tell if it's him saying uh, I like horror movies now, or he's playing a game because he's like you don't go to horror cons and say you hate horror movies, or um, if he's saying like, or like the way that I've always interpreted it is uh, I wasn't particularly attached to many horror movies because they weren't making horror movies that I was particularly attached to. They weren't making movies that. They weren't making movies that uh, spoke to me as a person, as somebody who was an emerging filmmaker. They didn't excite me. What excited me was, you know, Three Stooges and cartoons and and stuff like that. Um, And and what's fun about that is because he didn't – and I interpret it that way. I interpret it I do too. Like I don't don't think it's disdain. And I don't even – I guess I don't even care if he likes horror movies now. Like – I remember him saying something similar that he was never a fan of any of the superhero movies that came out like Burton or Post. Like, you know, he had he had a vision for what a superhero movie could be. And that's what he wanted to do. And nothing, nothing that he had seen had lived up to that. And like, I, I imagine I can picture Sam Raimi going home every night and watching Tex Avery, Looney Tunes and three. Like, I can see him just watching movies and being like, yeah, I didn't care for that. I would have done it differently. And maybe that's fine. Like, not. He never has struck me as a particularly in interviews, in writing, as a – and this may sound like insulting and I could be completely wrong. But he's never struck me as like a particular like cinephile type filmmaker. Like he's not one of those guys that I feel like studies film, studies film theory, talks about Godard and like – you know, Kurosawa and all these people and like, you know, he seems like he just is like, I have a vision of what I like seeing and I try to make that and it just happens to be like, it's influenced by all these 
weird places that a lot of uh, filmmakers don't like cite as influences. And it produced something that a lot of other people saw as new and different. Like, I get, and I, maybe that's okay. Like, I don't know how else you get a Sam Raimi and probably some of these other, like, you know, Orson Welles drawing from, like, uh, radio dramas as opposed to, like, filmmaking uh, techniques and stuff like that and, and staging plays and stuff like that is, like, a way to kind of inject a different life into into the medium because he, he's not taking it from – he's not, like, remixing the medium. He's um, He's essentially, like, in some ways inventing a new genre. Or at the very least, inventing a new directorial style. Yeah, and I, I think I think going back to what I was saying a minute ago, like he he didn't see what he wanted in the genre, so he changed the genre to represent him. And you can't deny looking at you know thirty years of film history, uh, thirty plus years of film history since the original Evil Dead, and you, you can't see that and deny that he has completely changed how we look at film and like yeah. even even like uh you know if a if a a, sh- a network a genre show or a network like like even like a riverdale or whatever they want to do a scene where like everything's going crazy like they are taking sam raimi techniques uh they are taking sam raimi influence whether or not they realize it like everything that is and they is, probably would say they realize they probably wouldn't be like nah yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true uh, but the 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 even stuff that would ostensibly be so divorced from it in style has been influenced by its sense of let's throw this maximalism, let's throw everything at the fucking screen and see what sticks. And uh, I, I think with that, do you want to talk about Within the Woods and then Evil Dead? Uh, no, actually, I have, I have two more very quick points on it, Peter. I'm sorry, this is going to be one of those episodes. A great transition. Um, but I'm I try. I'm uh, I'm spiking it. You set me up, and I'm spiking it, and it doesn't get you're over. Gonna, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to find the transition, then, man. <laughs> okay. I mean, I can just say transition. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we always I didn't, do. I, I mean, we don't. We don't need to. I, I, don't, I didn't all of a sudden know there was a group of people judging our transitions that I got to live up to. Uh, no, really quickly on, on that though. Um, I do think that's why it was really one of the really interesting things on Sam Raimi because I. I as long as we're here, we might as well finish it up, is that, like, it felt like he was... I mean, Spider-Man came out in 2002, so we're talking 21 years after this movie comes out, and I remember being an obsessed Evil Dead fan and feeling like like, Sam Raimi's gonna keep making good movies, but, like, he is so specific in his vision, and, like, he just hasn't really caught an audience besides the evil dead movies and even those are limited by you know distribution and horror stuff army darkness wasn't a particular success like these things right so because i remember like me and a bunch of like evil dead sam raimi fans going to see the gift in theaters like 2000 and it you know the gift is good it's not great and it's like oh and this was after a simple plan which is great but is very like low key and a different type of Sam Raimi and it's I like I can't believe we did a simple plan before we did any evil time. I know I know like, this is second years. Sam Raimi yeah um but it felt like at that time which you were probably a little young for it felt like yeah he just he's like this amazing director that just has never had the budget the support the material to like propel himself into the 
you know, the the stratosphere is like this A-list, top-of-the-line director. And while a lot of, like, film fans and horror fans would say his name in reverence, like, the general audience just, just never got attuned. And, like, you know, he, in the same thing with, like, he couldn't get the rights to The Shadow. He makes Darkman. Darkman's a modest success. Like, Quick and the Dead, he gets, you know, Sharon Stone, one of the biggest things in Hollywood. And Can then we pause on cast. Darkman really quickly? Yeah. I, I don't really like Darkman all that much. I really respect really? it, but I don't really I like it. Um, it's fine. Um, do you think that people like Darkman because it's kind of like as close as we got to Sam Raimi just dragging his extreme weirdness into a different genre? Uh, I think well, I mean, the I, dead too, but like Darkman has big defenders. I'm one of them. Um, I, I think it's a four star movie, not a five star movie. And I think Quick and the Dead is a three and a half star movie. Like it's interesting, but it's it's like. You know, you hear all these behind-the-scenes stories, Crime Wave 2, which is his only movie I haven't seen. I actually just ordered the Blu-ray because I figured, I mean, I got to see Crime Wave. Um, but that's a movie that just is like, the studio has no confidence in him, keeps cutting his budget. Same thing that happened with um, Evil Dead 2. He couldn't even get the fucking rights back to his own movie to make it. Um, Army of Darkness, They like there's a director's cut, which I actually think is inferior. We'll talk about that. But, um, you know, he had his movie cut by 20 minutes. He couldn't even name it when he wanted to name it. Like, you just see the frustration behind the scenes and you hear it in interviews that, like, he was getting to make movies that had, like, a pinch of Raimi or a touch of Raimi or even a even a full serving of Raimi. But it's all these other things constraining him. And as such, he's never really connecting with an audience. And that's – I think that's why you hear the narrative of, like – he finally got what he wanted to do with Spider-Man 2. You know, he Spider-Man 1's great, but the studio basically said, oh, shit, okay, yeah, just do whatever. And, and, and then Spider-Man 2 is this amazing leap in quality. Still one of the best superhero movies of all time. And then the studio comes back to him with Spider-Man 3 and is like, we have a lot of things. We're going to make a franchise. We have plans. You need to insert this. You need to do this. And... You know, it feels like we – and so he, like, makes that. It sucks. You know, gets to retreat with Drag drag Me to Hell, which is back to Raimi on his own terms. And it just – but it really felt like in 2000 that, like, he was going to make these $5 million budgeted movies that were never going to play in theaters. And pretty soon he's doing straight-to-video stuff. Just because, like, the amount of – of, of lack of confidence that he got from studio support to budgets to everything else is, was just minimal. And the fact that he was still able to create – oh, also for Love of the Game was in there. I don't know if you've ever seen that, Peter. That was after A Simple Plan, the Kevin Cost – or right before A Simple Plan. No, right after Simple Plan because Simple Plan was 98 for Love of the Game was 99. That was the Kevin Costner I like baseball movie when he just wanted work. Um, <laughs> so terrible. not like not like a field of dream style thing where it's baseball melded with uh you know a, a, a broader message uh it, it's just it's just about kevin costner likes baseball he's an old pitcher yeah that's what it was it's not a good movie and then that's 99 and then he does the gift which i remember being like all right well at least he's doing something horror but even that feels like lifetime procedural stuff like elevated because it's Sam Raimi. But again, telling that in all these cases, because he's so good, he still makes worthwhile art. Like Darkman, I think is very worthwhile. Quick of the Dead, I think is very worthwhile. But like he's not making Evil Dead 2 or even like the, an approximation of that. So it is like 
thank God, even though it sucks that we haven't seen much of him, I'm really excited for his Doctor Strange movie. And I actually am one of the few people that like Oz the Great and Powerful quite a bit. Um, uh, it is like, it's it's so weird that we've gotten like 13 movies from him. Yeah. And three of them are Spider-Man movies. It, 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 he easily could have done what um, Carpenter and, you know, a lot of the, the sort of Masters of Horror did over time, which is like, you know, eventually uh, you, you go a long enough time without a hit that genuinely makes a lot of money. Yeah. And... Uh, or even makes back its budget. Or even like, makes fuck. back its budget. And then eventually, like you said, you make, you're making straight-to-video stuff, if anything at all, or you become a TV director, which is, you know, up until recently has not is not a glorious thing for these guys like because you're basically yeah. playing in the showrunner's toolbox like for some of them it's it's nice to just like be able to pop in and get some work done but well and uh, Raimi was part of a lot of tv but it was like that like you and your buddies make shows and we'll leave you alone like hercules and xena and jack of all trades and stuff yeah sorry i was yawning um oh, yeah no. i was not like i was not like how dare you talk that way about xena um and i was also not yawning to insult you you can edit that out um <laughs> i'm gonna leave it in uh oh yeah but, no but, sorry to pause because i was so tired by what you just said <laughs> no it was it was the perfect time for a perfectly bad time for a pause because it sounded like i was like aghast uh but no uh no just (laughs) just a sleepy guy um but yeah so the the um he easily could have just faded out into the black but since he was the dude who essentially created (laughs) the modern superhero movie like he gets to that's a good that's a good pick me up right like yeah (laughs) like he gets to he gets to keep going up at bat and like he also every so often throws uh, a, a true genre classic at us that like I'm not even saying I'm not even saying classic means like a five out of five movie. But like I think Darkman and Dragman to Hell are classics like. Well, and, and then he's producing great stuff like besides just Evil Dead, he's producing Don't Breathe. He's producing Crawl. Like even though he hasn't been as active lately, like he still has a gifted eye for like, oh. I should give these people my support. And it sounds like it sounds like a lot of times when he meets with these guys, he like finds guys who he thinks share have the same sort of bug. Uh, people who have the same Alexander Aya and Fede Alvarez, like those guys probably have the, that Raimi bug where it's just like they're addicted to experimenting with different means of communication with yeah. the camera and like using the camera as a super impressionistic means of, of getting your message across. Not so much like I'm going to make something small and reserved and you know, what's really going to sing are the performances like R- Raimi gets great performances, but he, his, his real, uh, the real thing that, that seems to, to excite him is like well i'm gonna shoot this scene in a way you've literally never seen this sheet this scene shot before yeah i mean even quicker than dead like those shootout scenes are like i've never seen a shootout scene like that like he was like i'm making a modern western why would i make a western that look that you know uh, mimes shit from the 60s and like i'm yeah. not saying that i don't pr- prefer tombstone or something but like quicker yeah. the dead is a cool ex- a cool genre experiment and i'm glad that it exists yeah, what if I follow the bullet through someone's heart? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, no. And then occasionally, like, pause to look at people's faces as I pass. Uh, anyway, uh, last thing I'll, I'll say, and then we will transition, Peter. And this is going to be really quick. The other thing I really love about these movies, which I get would be annoying to people, is that, like, they – these movies inspire this kind of love. And as such, there's fans. And there's fan, and fans are annoying 
I'm I'm sure I've been annoying at this at at it about Evil Dead in the past. It reminds me of, but it it it's like when I first discovered Monty Python and the Holy Grail in like seventh grade, right? Like it's like the perfect melding of where my comic sensibilities are and like something that I didn't know could exist. Um, that it was like so perfect and funny, and how did this get made, and all that kind of stuff, and 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 it was the same thing about discovering these movies. But as I've grown up, and you know, sometimes been embarrassed by um, fans on Twitter and Facebook and other like things that like post groovy a little bit too sincerely, um, and stuff like that. I am reminded that like w- the reason why all of the dumb quotes and everything else are still so funny to me. And still so perfect, and I really do love them, even if they get overused by the worst fans, and probably even the okay fans, and even the best fans, is because I've just never seen a movie where um, not only does Bruce Campbell say cut off his arm with a – or cut off – recognize that his cut off hand, can he can attach a chainsaw to it, which fucking rules – as he looks at it and realizes the workmanship that he's done to create a chainsaw hand – he openly acknowledges to the audience that he understands how fucking cool this is. And I just hadn't really seen, like, movies that did that all that often. Not then and rarely now that are, like, not over the top, like, I'm a fucking badass, but just, oh, groovy. And, like, I think that's why those the the jokes, the lines, all that stuff stays with you because it, it wasn't just funny lines. It was out of place in the sense that movies aren't supposed to say that thing at that moment. And also, the moment is followed up. It's not followed up with... It is, this is not a straight empowerment arc. It's not followed up with him going in the cabin <laughs> no. and immediately, you know, killing every last Deadite. Like, he goes in there, and it's a fucking tussle. Like, he get, he still gets his ass beat up, but this time he has a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in the same way, like... And this is Evil of... Dead 2, mind you. The, yeah, of course. we're going to have to make it very clear is that, like, Evil Dead 1 and 2 are very different movies. And, very different. And I think we need to hammer that home because I think people have for, haven't seen this movie in a while. People say forget. Evil Dead 2 is a remake. It is, like, it is a 15-minute remake of the fir- of the entire movie. Um, and then it goes into a different direction. So Yeah, we'll talk about an Evil Dead well, episode, but, like, I really want to talk about later, like, how much this movie is not Evil Dead or Army of Darkness and why that makes the remake better. But we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah we'll get to it. And we'll get to it uh, either next week or right now, because, Peter, are you ready to get within the woods and talk about the Evil Dead? Heck, yeah. Was that a good enough fucking transition Gro- for groovy. you, Peter? Uh, yeah, it was groovy. All right, well, give me some sugar. Let's take a break. <laughs> Baby. Peter, uh... Instead of alternate taglines, we have an alternate movie. Because you and I decided, you know, we're doing all the Evil Dead movies. How can we not do Within the Woods? Which neither of us had seen. Oh, yeah. Uh, And uh, partially because it's very difficult to watch. And I mean that both literally and figuratively. It's difficult to Um, watch in all the ways. In all the ways. That something could be difficult to watch. Uh, So I, I 
think, and I was I wasn't able to confirm this because I wasn't able to find my copy. But uh, I am one of those people that has owned so many versions of these movies over the years because uh, they constantly re-released them with new commentary tracks and other things. And I kept a lot of them because even though they did a lot of double dipping, triple so much dipping, double dipping, quadruple dipping, fucking they, blue underground they, man. I know. They, but they did tend to like, okay, well, we'll do something new. So, like, the Evil Dead Blu-ray, just uh, for example, does have a lot of the special features from the other Evil Deads uh, discs. But they did record a new commentary, like, in 2009, as opposed to... It, it is still funny. They, they've recorded, like, three commentaries or four commentaries for the same movie. Because it's like, well, what's the, what's the hook for this one? A new commentary with them? Sure. Um... Yeah, wait, but I, why so, why do they keep dragging them back for this? Like, are they hoping to? They've already all written. They speak at conventions. They present. Bruce Campbell is literally on tour right now, presenting Evil Dead at drive-ins. Like, so I mean, I think that a they get money for it, so they have some financial things. But also, like, I don't know. Um, I don't know why they do it. <laughs> they've done it many times. There's so many commentary tracks for these movies, which also is the like. Um. Oh, I I did get the new Blu-ray, but I can't really throw away this version if I want to ever hear that commentary track ag- again. And yes, listener, I'm never gonna listen to that commentary track again. I've listened to maybe a dozen commentary tracks in my. I've listened to most of the Evil Dead and Army of Darkness related uh, commentary tracks. Uh, <laughs> I mostly listen to the Mister Show commentary tracks, but Mister Show on the, on the horror side, I've listened to some Carpenter stuff and some Raimi stuff. Yeah, the three uh, the three Kurt Russell Carpenter commentary tracks are fucking fantastic. Yeah, well, when they just then, end up talking about like their kids' little league games. Yeah, Simpsons commentary tracks from like seasons three and nine. Like at one point, I I had memorized the comedy tracks as much as the shows, <laughs> just because I'd be like, well, instead of I don't need to watch these again. I'm just gonna watch them with the commentary tracks. But at some point, you just see them. So, anyways, I, you know, Simpsons, blah blah blah. Uh, so. I think one of my discs, Peter and I did some research. I am pretty sure the 2002 Book of the Dead release of uh, Evil Dead, which is the one that like feels like a book and, and is, is is rules. I don't care about people saying it doesn't fit on my shelf right. Like they made a fleshy book for you with all the art inside. Like it's it's fine. Like it or don't buy it. You're going to be good. I'm pretty sure that one is the only release ever that contains Within the Woods because there's some rights issues, which seems insane. But there I couldn't I'm not sure if it's the music. I'm not sure if it's the locations or some like some of the people that appeared in it. But there appears to be some rights issues for this film um, that are stopping it from like generally being included in releases. As such, Peter and I went to YouTube. And it seems like there is a remaster version that appeared on that disc that has been stricken from YouTube, but the shitty VHS dubs of something do exist. Yeah. Um, so I eventually I, settled I on Daily Motion, way. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't, yeah. So yeah, so it was it was fun to watch this, but I will say, like, I don't know if I got the experience from watching Within the Woods. Um, just because, it, I mean, it looks like an 8mm print. That was left uh, in uh, various people's rectums for years and then was shit out and dubbed over on a VHS that then uh, was was thrown in a sewer. It's a proof of <laughs> concept. Like nobody <clears throat> like they essentially came up with this idea to be like, 
here's our proof of concept. We're going to make like a 30 minute short horror movie. We're going to spend very little money on it. 1600 bucks. It, you know, 1600 bucks in 1978 is, uh, you know, it's a sizable amount of money, but it is. A, I think it's, it's $8 million. A, yeah, it's $8 million for, for adjustment. So really, this movie should be graded on that curve and uh, roundly rejected. But um, the budget for storing the film and preserving it was a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is amazing that um, I even care to see this prototype yeah. version of movies because so even in a movie like short term 12 which came out a few years ago with brie larson had a really amazing easy cast, to remember like Keith like stanfield's in it like great movie easy to remember <laughs> yeah, came up with the answer immediately um i saw the short that was like uh preceding that that was like essentially like setting up what the movie would be about um years before that movie came out and it's like this is really impressive like but usually you see these shorts and you're like this is kind of just for producers to know that the person's not an idiot before they give them a couple million dollars right like um this movie feels very much like that kind of thing and the only reason i'm interested in seeing it is because this is a weird little nut that yeah. uh, that evil the evil dead grew out of which is is crazy because like it has the same core principle three michigan goofs um rob taper sam raimi bruce campbell bruce campbell is like the lead dash lead monster um it has a lead actress from uh the evil dead is also in it as like the lead like the yeah i don't want to say final girl but you know like the i don't know the, the 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 protagonist um and uh it does have that sort of zooming craning chase shot the pov of the demon shot that you're gonna deadite see cam. A, a ton the deadite cam that you're gonna see a ton of uh in in the evil dead proper so it's not super worth talking about but it's definitely worth covering i think before we get into what the evil dead is yeah, and just, uh, I mean, a little bit why it's interesting, like, it's very much proof of concept. And the concept is um, as follows. There's an evil. You don't see it. It just kind of runs up on you and then takes over your body. And you become kind of a, a person who is, likes to fuck with people for means of murder. And, some, and then uh, gore ensues. And essentially, you can never be rid of it. Like, that's essentially, like... What are the concepts that they they took over from to from within the woods to Evil Dead? It's that it is not a short version of Evil Dead. It is just like here's all our ideas, and then we're gonna write a thirty minute movie about it as opposed to an eighty minute movie about it. So yeah, like all the interesting stuff is there. It is again, I'm judging from a from a um, the muddiest of muddy prints I've ever uh, sat through. But, like, you – I could always recognize when Bruce Campbell was on the scene. The other three were interchangeable. Um, it was interesting that Bruce Campbell becomes the one which makes sense because he was, uh, you know, Raimi's crash test dummy. So that idea of, like, uh, you know, making him do all the makeup and the gore effects and all the other stuff makes a lot of sense in the context of, like, this film. And it has the twist. At the end, they think he's defeated and he pops back up and looks at the camera. Like, you can't you – can't, can't get rid of just uh, a camera that moves. It's always going to find somewhere else uh, to go. 
Um, so yeah, I think I definitely think it's interesting. I'm glad I finally watched it. Um, I'd read so much about it from you know Campbell's book and just learning about the movie as a whole. It was interesting to see, if not like, if not like a master class of like this is like Evil Dead, but a 30 minute version. Like it's not that. It also has some like. Uh, one thing I can't wait to talk about with Evil Dead is like the introduction of uh, some level of Lovecraftian myth with the Necronomicon and this Book of the Dead, where uh, this this is the one in uh, the one in Within the Woods happens. The evil happens because they their cabin is on a wait for it Indian burial ground. Yeah, like the most cliched, boring kind of answer, and the fact that it is like a big cliche made me laugh because I was like. I mean, not because it's Is it a offensive. cliche in 78, though? Like, I suppose because we've never really... T- we only talked about this a little bit at a Spooktober when I watched it, but so much... I think that's what is the thing with Equinox, which is a 1970 horror movie that is, like, one of the few horror movies that uh, Raimi really liked and, like, modeled some parts of this film on. Like, Equinox was... In the same way that we mentioned a lot of filmmakers, like Evil Dead is their progenitor movie that makes them want to go do all these crazy things. Like Equinox is Sam Raimi's progenitor. It is. And, and I don't know how much he's fessed up to it over the years that like he, he was deeply inspired by Equinox, um, which came out, what, like 11 years before uh, Evil uh, Dead? Dead came out? 70. Oh, Okay. Um, and, uh, so the, the Equinox has a lot of similarities to the Evil Dead in terms of, like, it has the, the, uh, the, the, the demon chase cam, and it has the, this Necronomicon Book of the Dead, and there's a lot of visual sort of, like, stuff taken from, from that movie. Yeah. Um, but, like they veer wildly away from each other after the first 30 40 minutes um in a way that's like actually very entertaining because equinox ends up being like uh claymation and ray harryhausen thing about demons and then yeah um evil dead actually turns into a one-man act uh both evil dead one and two turn into a one-man act where you get to see bruce campbell's face versus a a thousand demons (laughs) um which is it's you know you could call it a zombie movie uh, but like it feels weirdly reductive to call it a zombie movie because it's more just about like um, the forces of evil just literally reaching into a bag of tricks and throwing a trick at Bruce Campbell and his face has to react to it. <laughs> well, it also like this this is getting a little bit into the movie, but it's fine. It's a mishmash of stuff and we should go where the conversation leads. Um, the um, it taps on something that most evil, quote unquote, evil movies don't, which is that like evil is sure malevolent and that it like kills people, but it also is like, you know, evil in like the way it wants to fuck with you and ruin your day. It's like not just malevolent, it's malicious. It like, you know, the, the demons, like Satan from the biblical myth, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, all that stuff is like based on not someone who just like is happy getting you to hell, but like wants you to lose all your shit and feel bad and get fucked with in this way. Like that is the concept of a demon that rarely, rarely shows up in movies. <laughs> like they're demonic and they're like, come feel eternal pain and blah, blah, blah. But it's not like, ah, I got your eyes. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to kill your girlfriend and chop off your leg. Like that is. That is demons, like, as taken from the Christian myth. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. These are these are somewhere uh, that we'll talk about what the deadites are, but they're sort of nestled neatly between a possession story and a zombie story. Um, because in a possession story, you're usually trying to retrieve the stolen body. Like you're trying to perform yeah. an exorcism or whatever. In this, um, the uh, essentially the Raimi zombie, let's call it that. Um, I think Deadite is a good name. Yeah, the Deadite, but like his riff on what this is 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 very specific. Their voice is modulated to be deeper, like you know, a, a, a possession story. They're floating in midair with these sort of dancing, writhing limbs, very very um, you know possession like. And then yeah. they and then they go to like from that dancing sort of smooth liquidness to like stiff doll like movements that are very like violent. They're being like posed. Which is yeah. very much hinting at like a possession story, like they're almost on a marionette. Yeah, um, this sort of fluid versus stiff thing. Uh, their eyes are gone. They have spontaneous scarring. Like that's both kind of zombie and uh, you know uh, possessed story. Um, they can strike suddenly, and like control is taken and released. So it's actually like you know deadites are way closer to a possessed uh, person in that way, um, and it's. It, it, it's kind of, and it also knows things about your past, which is extremely like The Exorcist. Um, so, like, it's funny that like this movie is feels like it kind of by uh, getting away from the Night of the Living Dead thing, where the dead are just these like kind of dead-eyed, slow creeping things, and getting also away from the tropes of the exorcism, uh, the Exorcist, to get somewhere uh, weirder. Uh, he was like. He essentially created this uh, marauding terror that's kind of halfway between the two and then off into its own direction. Yeah. Could not agree more. It is it is so unique and it, it uh, really have the ability – like it's not bound by rules, which is why it's okay that like uh, – as we'll get to very quickly, like, oh, at the end, what if hands burst out? Sure. Like it's just – it's just a, a force that can do what it wants. It is not bound by, I'm a zombie and I'm dead and I eat your eat your flesh and if you shoot me in the head, I'm done for. Like, it's like, yeah, I best you can do is kill your friends, bud. And then I'm going to go somewhere else. And you get the this extrapolation way more in the show, but it is, it is in the first Evil Dead onward. Um, and that's that. It feels like the possessed are basically treating the deadites are basically being treated by the demons like the 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 person is being taken for a joyride. Yeah. And that they're like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> use this body to sexually harass my daughter or use this body to uh you know, uh, tell you horrific stories from your childhood. Like, I'm going to do whatever I want in this body. And then when things finally start to go awry, yeah, I'll, I'll tear my own arm off. I'll, <laughs> I'll mutate into a, just a puddle of pus. Like, whatever whatever I want to do, I'm going to do it with this body. Like, and there's kind of no consequences. Because yeah. at the end of the day, I'm going to I'm gonna uh, drop my beer can in the, on the floor of the car and, uh, you know, call it a day. And part of that joyride is like, hey, this isn't my car. What does this button do? And I think that is epitomized in all these moments where like – even in this one, it happens way more in later movies where like 
uh, you know, the, the possessed person's able to fly and rises up, you know, and for a second it just does like a weird arm and leg move. And it does feel like the demon's like, oh, what does this fucking do? Oh, weird. All right. Back to yelling. <laughs> like, yeah, because they're used and that, to being demons. And all of a sudden they ha- they're they like bound by this weird body, but also they can do things the body can't normally do. Yeah. And, and they, because they're, they're, they, yeah, their joyride is like fucking shit up and causing problems, but they still are like, oh, what's this thing? Oh, that's yeah. weird. All right. It's, it's just weird to see a movie where the, 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 the monsters are having so much fun. They're having uh, so much fun. They fucking love it. It's great. And But also, you're not like, it's not like a typical sort of like serial killer thing where you're like, oh, the, the giggling maniac. He's scarier because he's happy. It's not like that. You're like... <laughs> There's something, like, very childish and playful and clownish about it that, like, you're – it's almost like Sam Raimi is, like, I need some craziness to happen and I'm using – and I'm going to possess these guys. It's almost like Sam Raimi is, like, the Deadite King. Well, and also, like, yeah, they, they're not, like, trying to – like, they say stuff like, I'll swallow your soul and shit like that. But it's, like, they don't, like – what are they going to do with it? You You released us. Okay, well – we're going to fuck around then a little bit like and we're we're evil and we don't care about your bodies and you're our playthings and like um, but we legitimately get a lot of enjoyment out of it like and that's so important to these movies because to your to your point about like Sam Raimi being the ultimate deadite who's doing it Sam Raimi gets all the enjoyment out of it and that's why I think those two align so well so Peter why don't you walk us through this will probably be a short recap because it's actually like not that complicated of a movie uh, but what happens in the Evil Dead. Uh, the Evil Dead. So, a uh, bunch of kids go up to a cabin. You heard this one before? Uh, five kids. Uh, you heard this? You heard about this? You heard about this? You heard about this? These kids going up to cabin? Did you know uh, I never touch my cabin money? <laughs> <laughs> it shows, Jay. The cabin looks like I shit. Never, I never touch my cabin. Also, uh, I would have taken maybe uh, the Porsche out. <laughs> they taken a little Lincoln. We're taking the Porsche out to the cabin with my friends. Uh, maybe just me and my wife, whatever her name is. I forget it for this bit. I know it's <laughs> Mavis. Yeah, that sounds right. Mavis. Let's take the Porsche and go to the cabin. Don't touch the cabin money. <laughs> Never touch my deadite money either. <laughs> oh, Jay. <laughs> that was Kevin Eubanks in a very non-racist accent. Yeah. <laughs> Jay, you rest. Ha, Jay. <laughs> guitar time! This is a Kevin impression of Kevin Eubanks. Ha ha! So Jay, Jay Leno and his friends are uh, comedians at cars. They're getting coffee. Him, Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, man, um, they're going up. What's to the, the deal, the Jay? Use your cabin money. What are you saving it for? I don't get this guy. What's the deal with cabins in the woods? What's the deal with us? My uh, my friend the other day. <laughs> Got uh, got possessed by a demon. You heard this? You heard about this? I'm back to Jay Leno. Once once you do Jay Leno, you can't go to Seinfeld. Yeah, because I figured you do Jay and I would do Seinfeld. Okay, you do Seinfeld. That's right. Okay. Um, Jay, yeah. where are you taking us? <laughs> well, we're gonna go to the Porsche. We're gonna go up to the cabin. Uh, I noticed you brought your 17 year old girlfriend, which is age appropriate for the movie, but not for you, Jerry. It's fine. She's nice and small. She can fit in the back. Oh, well, there's no back in my Porsche. I think I'm gonna stay. Uh, yeah, all right, well, stay, stay, come, whatever, you know, 
uh, some people, uh, I, I asked a bunch of people what a cabin was, and they said, uh, it's, uh, it's when you get a cab coming into your house. <laughs> street, we're street talking with the people in New York. They're so fucking dumb. <laughs> you know, you know, you made a whole show about it. <laughs> all the dummies. I'm a, I'm a person of nothing but contempt for, for the people I walk around with. Possibly in L.A. I think my show on, Red, on, on further examination was was shot in LA, not New York. What? What? A bunch of fucking dummies. I have. I, I know so little about Jay Leno that I I, I can't like even riff off of Jay Leno. Like I was I was about to make jokes about Jay Leno. I was like, he likes cars. He's not funny. That is Jay Leno. Uh. You heard this? You heard about this? Uh, OJ. OJ Simpson. Uh, now, if he came to the cabin, he'd really kill all these kids. You about this? You about this? Flying demons in the sky. It's crazy. Uh, unless my dancing Ito's got him out. <laughs> this is turning into a Christopher Walken, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. Yeah. You heard this? You heard about this? When you yeah. start talking like Arnold Schwarzenegger something? Um, Do more Jerry. <laughs> Quick you gotta running. see the cabin. <laughs> uh, I'll do. I'll do some Jerry. I'll do some Jerry. Uh, <clears throat> do the rest. Since everyone's seen this movie, do the rest of the recap as if you're Jerry Seinfeld telling a setup for a joke that doesn't come. And I will comedians in cars with coffee with you interrupt the bit with directions. <laughs> uh, great, great. What if instead I just told the recap of the movie? Mm, I like my idea better. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my thing no matter what. You do whatever you feel comfortable with. So these kids, they go up to the cabin. So yeah, Aaron, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go through the recap. Okay, take a right. Yeah, go straight. I'm just gonna do it. Okay, so five kids. I'm sounding like Clarence from Wonder Show. <laughs> what are you mad at? <laughs> kids, can you say mutilate? <laughs> What are you running from? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a dead eight. Run! <laughs> everyone knows who Jay Leno are. Man, when are people everyone knows you? who Jay Leno are. Let's uh, quote Wonder Shows in a show that approximately uh, twelve white nerds watched in the mid two thousands. Yeah, that's right, guys. We know Jay Leno and Clarence from Wonder Show, and we're a classic double threat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so these kids go up to the cabin, right? Uh, they read from the Book of the Dead. Shouldn't have read from the Book of the Dead. Uh, zombies rise up. Uh, they when do zombies rise up? They they kill all the they they kill everyone except for Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell fights them off with a shotgun. Uh, he almost uses a chainsaw, but <laughs> you're gonna have to wait for the sequel, folks. Um, and then <laughs> <laughs> he uh, essentially this, that that part seems like a. Like, this was made as a prequel to a script that had already been written. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually uh, something we need to talk about Evil Dead 2, how Evil Dead 2 has one of the best horror endings of all time, but it gets buried yeah. by the fact that they actually ran with it. Yeah. Like, imagine the fucking audacity to end a movie on that note. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But, um, so... Uh, so Bruce Campbell, uh, last man standing, fights off all the zombies with a shotgun, and then he is walking out the front door, essentially, the sun is rising, he's made it through the night, and all of a sudden there's one last attack by the, the demon, and similar to the end yeah. of Within the Woods, 
uh, similar to the end of Within the Woods. Uh, you uh, you think your your protagonist has made it through the night, but oh no, they have to they have to deal with this shit now. They're essentially doomed at the end. But it's, yeah, and it goes right into his face thing. and cuts to credits and a jaunty theme song. Something else they they keep with Evil Dead too. Like yeah, it's it, it's a little a little bouncy ditty, a little bouncy. Uh, yeah, it, it is basically that. It is, uh, it's so hard to talk about, like, and I, I will say, I can't imagine showing this movie to someone, uh, like, like, you need to almost show it to someone who is maybe not, um, hyper-literate on horror movies, just because not only did, like, so much of the, the filmmaking techniques and get taken from this like the whole cabin in the wood concept well definitely not originated by this movie is like the trope itself that eventually came to be like here's the cabin in the woods which uses the cabin from evil dead as the cabin uh just feels so like you know five teenagers or you know college kids go to a cabin and find a book wrapped in flesh in the basement and read it and shit happens like on paper it should feel like i'm watching something that is academically interesting to see where so many horror movies branched off from as opposed to actually interesting and entertaining but it is the latter like it is still a entertaining as fuck movie it is like the definition of one of those rough and tumble indie projects that is just like it's a herald of a filmmaker that's that's here to come but it still stands on its own two feet as a true experience this is this is one of those movies where you're like you turn it on and you're like i think i know what i'm getting into and then within like three minutes the movie is zipping the camera around and showing you showing you shit that you're just like this is really intense for the first five minutes of a movie. Like the woman who becomes possessed and, and starts to auto record um, where she takes a pad of paper and she's drawing, you know, whatever, a pretty nature scene. And then she starts drawing out the Necronomicon very jaggedly into the notebook paper. Like that yeah. happens. That happens at like 10, the 10 minute mark. Like they don't even, they don't even bother. If you're, if you watch horror movies and you do like, I don't care about the characters. I just want to get to the, to the the craziness like good on you whatever like that's that's totally going to be respected by evil the evil dead like they are well but it cares about one character it cares about bruce campbell and it actually becomes a different movie when they get bruce campbell alone because bruce campbell is the one uh solid actor that they have i'm not saying the other actors are all garbage i actually and he and he's still pretty so in this movie too like he is not bruce campbell ash want to be action hero like he's still playing him as a in way over his head college friend who didn't take the threat seriously until it was too late you know and but he still doesn't really like the point is is that there is a element of pain and anguish and, and you just feel all of the movements against him because he's so good at screaming and throwing up his hands in and looking like he's just having a breakdown for 30 straight minutes that like I'm not surprised that they're like let's let's take that and you see this uh, lever on the on the Bruce Campbell dial here. We're gonna take that all the way up and uh, because that shit is working. Like you are going to be in the middle of a movie long panic attack for the next one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like 
Uh, I do think uh, Ellen Sandweiss, who's uh, also from Within the Woods, um, mm-hmm. I think she's she's a good actor. But like you, you're here for Bruce Campbell. Like Bruce Campbell has this natural. He's movie star charisma. We've talked about this a few times. We actually talked about this over the summer with um, regards to some of our Siege movies and how like you could be a really good actor but not have movie star <laughs> movie star charisma. Yeah. Um, and. Bruce Campbell has that 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 thing that it factor that spark where you're just even when he's not he's not a fully formed dash he's not quippy no but we should talk about we should start this off actually talk about what this movie is not because I think the the sequels have sort of uh tainted it in a way um this he is not the ash from Evil Dead 2 He's no. not the Ash from Evil Dead 3. He's nope. not the Ash from Ash vs. Evil Dead. He's nope. not any of those Ashes because each movie... He, he is becomes- exactly the Ash from, that's right, Evil Dead, Fistful of Boomsticks, the second video game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's that, that, that video he's game that actually um, canonically covers what it was like to be in the first Evil Dead, which is that he's very romantic uh, and he... Uh, I assume he has. And he both can't hands. find gas. He yeah. can't find no. He can't find gas for his chainsaw. Can't find gas you know, for his chainsaw. He just runs around the town and then eventually uh, keeps getting overwhelmed and says, "Fuck this." Yeah, this is this is okay. So by the time we get to Ash versus Evil Dead, Ash is somebody who's uh, hornballing his way uh, to try and forget about all the shit he's done, yeah. uh, which is actually not crazy far off from Ash and Evil Dead Two. This is yeah. a this is a much more primitive version of Ash, and I use that term specifically because it's like you're seeing what makes what actually makes you empathize with Ash in this movie, but you're not getting the quips, you're not getting yeah. a lot of the comedy because this movie's not very funny, but you are getting what makes you empathize with Ash and what makes people fall in love with Bruce Campbell, which is that Bruce Campbell yeah. has a sort of face, and he has a sort of emotional reaction to moments that makes you feel what he's feeling yep and he is in a way i said earlier that maybe like you know sam raimi is like king deadite sam raimi's like the scene's boring make one of the people get possessed um sam raimi which also works just on a on a uh, metatextual level because sam raimi openly honestly loves being mean to bruce campbell (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's there's there is a sort of like brotherly love because they've been friends since high school well Rob- and sam raimi's i think he's uh he's actually like two years younger than bruce campbell and bruce campbell said that he like you sometimes think of the older brother as being a bully but it's actually the younger ones you need to watch the most out for because they feel like they have something to prove and they always try to knock you down a peg because they feel like they're living in your shadow and that's the case uh, with Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell's two years older, and apparently Sam Raimi, as like they knew each other from kids, Sam Raimi was a little shit who hung out with the older kids, Rob and Bruce, and liked to fuck with them. And Sam Raimi is never denied it. They talk about it in the commentary tracks. Bruce Campbell talks about it. That has never went away. Sam Raimi is not a sociopath, but he is when it comes to Bruce Campbell. Uh, yes, it's a great time to interject here because, like, the their relationship is super important. The yeah. fact and the fact that, like, <laughs> during production. They shot. Uh, they shot in uh, Tennessee. They originally wanted to shoot in Michigan, where they're all from. The the core three: oh, Rob Tapper, Sam Raimi, and Bruce Campbell. They're all from Michigan. They're from uh, Dearborn. 
Uh, yeah, I think Rob Tampert's from like Royal Oak, and I think the other two, yeah, probably from Dearborn. Uh, Fun fact, yeah, they were. Um, my my mom was born and spent uh, all her years till in college in uh, Detroit, Dearborn, and she went to the same school, high school, and was two years older. And because my mom's not cool, she didn't know who any of these people were. But uh, yeah. Went to the same high school. That's so cool. Yeah, my uh, my wife and her family are all from that area, and like her uh, her parents grew up in uh, Dearborn, and uh, and her up in Dearborn. <laughs> yeah, all the way up. Oh, because you're from Chicago. Because I'm from I'm like, Chicago. I'm like it's Dearborn is very is in the very bottom part of the mitten, Peter. It's what are you talking about? Me. Up in Dearborn. Uh, I got yeah, it. Yeah, it, it, yeah, uh, but um. Well, I mean, also I live in Southern California, so it's it's pretty I much it. everything that's not, uh, you know, like parts of Texas and Florida is up from me. Um, yeah, it's like if you're on the Antarctica base, you're like, oh yeah, up in Australia. <laughs> yeah, the, the way people talk about it, yeah, um, you know. <laughs> you know if you were born and raised on antarctica base uh they just at robert off. falcon scott lane <laughs> rolled amundsen drive on that intersection uh those are the two people uh, that fought to I find hate, the i South hate those Bowl. damn yankees up in australia <laughs> yeah they they were they were old buddies they all um they, they they'd known each other for since they were child since they were child um since they were children <laughs> they were little babies <laughs> when they were little babies they uh, said, me and my wife mavis uh never had babies <laughs> we just had uh, porsches i think i'm gonna read the necronomicon no no jay 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 you know what happened no, it's, no, it's bought in human yeah. flesh and it's tainted blood i'm gonna read it <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, think hide he, some... I think he gets it. Yeah, he he knows he knows what it does, and he wants to read it. I think we should let him. Don't touch the Necronomicon. That's where I hide all my Tonight Show money. <laughs> and it's portals. Deus blaflus, blaflus. There's too much money in here. Fucking spend it. My portals are full. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that. I'm 80 years old. I'm gonna be an asshole about it. <laughs> People are dying. They just need a little bit of money. I'm going to keep it all. I'm going to gift it to my Porsches so they can buy Porsches. Yeah. yeah. I I don't think you buying a, a Porsche Power Wheels is, is necessarily giving back to the little people, Jay. Yeah, my Porsche had a kid. It's a Porsche, Porsche Power Wheels. So okay, so when they say get back to the little it's people, my, it's you know, my grandchild. doesn't mean giving a small Porsche to a child, right? Yeah, I strap uh, I strap a uh, hundred dollar bills on my Hot Wheels and I blow them up. So that's for the very very little people, based on the scale that we've established with Power Wheels. Oh, all cars lives matter. <laughs> Jay, buddy, this is not the tack you want to take. I'm Jay Leno. What does Jay Leto think about the car that's in uh, pretty much all of Sam Raimi's movies? God, Lincoln should have been a Porsche. <laughs> you're gonna put a, you're gonna put one one car in all your movies. Might as well make it a Porsche. <laughs> this is like <laughs> going into Hanna Barbera territory. <laughs> What's that cat doing over there? Hey, 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 idiot! <laughs> hey, idiot! Solve this math problem. I don't know, man. My I just my wife my wife just divorced me. I lost my job. I, I think I'm gonna go jump off the Brooklyn Bridge. Hey idiot, solve the fucking math problem. 
Hey, uh, how many branches of uh, Congress are there? I, I don't, I don't care. Look at the idiot. Look at the idiots. House of Representatives and setting it, dumb fucking idiot. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, <laughs> Jay, you're crazy. Who was uh, president before uh, Barack Obama? Uh, yeah, I, you didn't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a baby. I'm, I am two years old. I, I, I don't know. I don't remember. I, huh. I've looks like you're not going to get to ride in my Porsche because they are not built for children. Uh, yeah, also, that's, I hate children. Also, why are you trying to invite uh, a baby? I'm literally an infant into your the back of your Porsche. Yeah, but okay. you're a dumb baby. All babies yeah, are dumb. This is probably I'm trying a bad, to get my voice as high as possible. We all know what the 80s was like in comedy clubs, Jay. This is not a good look. I was uh, in a movie with the Karate Kid guy. Uh, Jaden Smith? Uh, you're... <laughs> no, in the 80s. <laughs> you heard this? I'm a baby. I wasn't alive then. Uh, Pat Morita? Uh, I don't know. Was he on like TRL or something? I'm looking it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking it up. Looking it up. <laughs> My Jay was a little Joe Pesci. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> what was that movie? Hold on. Lethal Weapon 2? <laughs> no. Well, that movie. <laughs> Not that movie. It's more Lethal Weapon 3 is when J- Jay Leno, or when, uh, uh whatever. <laughs> Joe Pesci he, got Jay Leno was in Polyester. What the fuck? Um, I was in Collision. He, ne- he never collision. touched his, he never touched his Tonight never Show touched I got, but I, I do, I touch my Collision Course money all the time. Mm. I never stop touching my Collision Course money. It had a budget of $13 million. No, no box office gross information that I can remember off the top of my head. It was 1989. The future was looking bright for Jay Leno. Jay, I understand that you're, um, you're, you, you can't have the Tonight Show anymore. And I understand you have a new show where you talk about cars and you have like sort of rip off segments of your old segments. Is the current segment um, Jay Leto reads box office mojo to an infant? <laughs> I played Vorb and we're back a dinosaur story. I would like to see that. <laughs> you want to see Vorb? I, I would love to see that, Jay. Can we V-R-O-B. Is how it's spelled. I said, oh. You know, if you're trying to get a child into the back of your Porsche, you should start with with Vorb. Uh, I run him over. <laughs> I'm Jay Leto, human monster. I belong at the Hague, ideally. <laughs> I'll but no one will stop me. They keep swallowing your night show money. Every day, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking ruin everyone in LA's life forever. They're not going to be able to show their face to their kids. Lock me up. They're like, how about uh, we're going to give you this show for five more years. Ah, damn it. (laughs) So I don't take the money. It's blood money. (laughs) Because I'd be murdering everyone if I could. Keep giving me the Tonight Show. They just just keep giving you the Tonight Show, man. Maybe, I I don't know. Maybe you you should... You should stop. Honestly, Peter, if I told you right now that Jay Leno was hosting the Tonight Show, you'd have to go... Okay, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's, it is deeply possible. <laughs> like, you're probably not following The Tonight Show at this point in your life. Uh, it's bad. Yeah, never have, never will. Is that... Uh, uh, so, somewhere in there we were talking about Bruce Campbell. Don't know how much of that ended up in the podcast. Uh, but if you've, you know, if you'll have heard about it. You'll have seen this. Um so one thing, Peter, uh, unless you had a point that you remember you wanted to go back to, 
Do you? <laughs> oh, do, oh like you mean hours nine ago. hours ago? Uh, yeah. No, uh, no, I don't. Um, <clears throat> great. Oh, Bruce Campbell. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So Bruce Campbell is. We're going to be talking about Bruce Campbell a shit ton this month. Not yeah. next week, but every other week this month. Uh, Bruce Campbell, rubber face, whatever. He is the beating heart of this series because, like, while Sam Raimi is like throwing shit. You know, into the into the you know he's throwing conflict at him for him to sort out. Like it's throwing just obstacles at him for him to jump over. Um, he is reacting with like true comic aplomb in a way that like I don't I don't think is matched in any comedy horror movie. Like Shaun of the Dead is no. rules and like you know there's a lot of. Great I think the com- closest. The closest we get, which we talked about specifically and called it out and compared it to Bruce Campbell, is uh, in Reanimator. Yep, I was going to get to that next. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Combs, man. Jeffrey fucking Combs. Like, he does that same sort of thing where, like, his... It's a different energy, but it's that melding of, like, horror and comedy in this amazing way. Yeah, like, essentially using a a twick of the, you know, a twitch of the face to um, elicit a full body laugh out of the audience (laughs) is like, that's that's mastery. That is what Mm. true acting is. And that's why Bruce Campbell has gone on to such great success is because Bruce Campbell can light up any sort of dull, dull, boring sort of plot and like genuinely elevate it like i watched i watched a couple episodes of burn notice it's kind of a hey me too it's a boring boring kind of standard show it's not horrible it's not great but burn notice is like the thing that you're like i'm so glad bruce campbell got a burn notice i'm not personally gonna watch it but like thank god you're getting usa 150 episodes burn notice money because he yeah he was i mean he was still fighting for parts into the early 2000s he made some old movies himself he he also like needed that spider-man to like uh get him into the mainstream after like 20 years of like um close to it um and i just i don't think he really ever got it unless i don't and i don't know if burn notice counts as that but at least it's like a steady paycheck. I mean, he talks so much and I'm sure you remember, Peter, and my chins, if chins could kill, that like, basically, which came out in 2002, of like, basically him still being a struggling actor, like, auditioning for guest spots. Like, he'd had some good breaks. Um, he was, you know, had some, but even like his Spider-Man cameos, he had to fight Sam Raimi to, like, can you please put me somewhere in the Spider-Man movie? And he's, and Sam Raimi was kind of against it. Until the third one where he was going to make him the lizard or whatever until the studio said no. And also like Darkman, too. He was supposed to be Darkman and the studio said no. Um, which, you know, like in retrospect, um, like Sam Raim- uh, Bruce Campbell has gotten all, all of those cool roles. But at the time, it's like shit. Like he was trying to throw some he was trying to throw some uh, some roles to his buddy. But this isn't yeah. this isn't like, you know, um this this director always brings along his lighting guy and his lighting guy pisses off the other guys um because he uh you know he's been with him for forever and knows he can't be fired this is uh sam raimi being like hey 
I've been friends with one of the most talented people in uh, Hollywood for uh, 30 years, 40 years. Can we just trust him to be amazing? Because he'll be amazing. Also, it's fucking Darkman. He's wearing a mutilated mask for 90% yeah. of the movie. Can't we just cast someone else to be the face? Because he literally doesn't have a face. Yeah. And like, there's so many of that, like, unfortunately, like, as we talked a little bit about Sam Raimi, like, just not really getting what he wanted out of the movies or not being able to use what he wanted. Like, there's like f- four movies, like, because Crime Wave, Raimi wanted Campbell for the lead, and the studio said no. And he ended up being like a secondary character. He wanted him for the lead for Darkman. The studio says no. He ends up as a cameo. And then he wants him to play the lizard, which ultimately gets cut out of Spider Man 3. Essentially, and they replace him with Dylan Baker, I think. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. But that was supposed to be Bruce Campbell, who's going to eventually be the lizard in the Spider-Man 4 that didn't happen. So, like, like even when Raimi tries to cast him, like, the studio's like, not Bruce Campbell. And, and like, that sucks so much because it is great that, like, one thing I really like about all of these people is, like, sure, three of them are, fr- are like, three of them are brothers, like Ivan Raimi, Ted Raimi, and you know, Sam Raimi, but that like Rob Tappert and Bruce Campbell, like they, they've all remained friends. They've all produced and helped out on each other's works and stuff like that. But yeah, Bruce Campbell, it just felt like, and, and you, you've read if chins could kill, right? Uh, (laughs) yeah. If, uh, if mouths could talk, there's no real good way to reply to it. Yes. Yes. If, yeah. If brains could read, if eyes could see words. (laughs) <laughs> uh, your brain does the reading uh, <laughs> the, old, the old brain the old noggin does the reading yeah and your fists do the talking um, but uh, but yeah like that is a wonderful book and someone who is like thankful for every chance he gets while also recognized as like he's had so many like good things that just like hey my buddy Sam's gonna make me the lead in this superhero movie oh studio said no oh like I'm on a I'm on a network television show I'm the lead it has like all the people that went to go create or some of the people that went to go create lost um, <laughs> and it was great. Oh, got canceled after one season after low ratings. Like, you know, it just he has so many of that for like decades. And that's why, like, even though uh, Burn Notice, not my favorite thing in the world, wasn't really um show that appealed to me. So you're, when I did, you're putting notice on the show that you're going to I'm burn giving it. Burn Notice a Burn Notice, as I understand what a Burn Notice is, because I've seen two episodes of Burn Notice. Yeah, it's just nice because like we had to. I, I've seen a couple episodes of Briscoe County, and it's it's a charming. Oh, enough I love thing, Briscoe County, but it is something where it's like that is not Evil Dead. Where Evil Dead, actually, I don't know. I don't know what I want to say here. Uh, well, but it is like I would so say Briscoe County does not exist without Bruce Campbell. Like he is, he no. is the the engine that drives that thing. But I would. But now I'm realizing like. What the fuck would these Evil Dead movies be without Bruce Campbell? Yeah, and, like, he also had another – so what's also, like, just incredibly depressing. So, um, you know, uh, Hercules and Xena, huge syndicated successes, right? Like, pop culture icons. Bruce Campbell is uh, plays a character, I think, consistently in both of those uh, and is in, unlike, 15 episodes total between the two. And they're like, hey, these syndicated deals with these, like, at the time, nobodies, right? Kevin Sorbo um, and uh, – uh, why Kevin am I forgetting who played Xena? Lucy Lawless, who I will be Lucy talking Lawless, about uh, with uh, Great Sugar in a few weeks. <laughs> I love her yeah, so who's much. Yeah, who's married to Rob Tappert, too. 
Yes. Um, yes. But uh, and yeah, is great in the first season of uh, Ash versus the Evil Dead. I can but, confirm uh, she's great in future seasons also. Well, I can't. Peter, we already talked about this. I haven't got there yet. Um, but I will trust you as a friend of mine. Um, but uh, uh, but, uh, but but he got his own syndicated show, too, called Jack of All Trades, like in 2000. And it's like, well, all the same people are involved. Like, why wouldn't it work? Uh, it has one of the best TV theme songs of all time. I would highly recommend uh, looking up the Jack of All Trades theme song is one of the worst shows I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Canceled after one season. I watched like, like, cause it was Bruce. I was one of those people, like a lot of people that like went rented shit like Mayan Warp cause Bruce Campbell was in it. Assault on Dome 4, like all that kind of shit. I, I watched a lot of garbage just trying Sorry. to see Bruce Campbell in a movie. I got three or four episodes into Jack of All Trades. I got the whole set from Netflix at once. Like, all five of my discs. Jack of All Trades. Disc one, two, three, four, five, six, in case I want the bonus features. And it was like, oh my god, this is so I just, I just came up with the worst, you know, Burn Notice, Rizzoli and Isles era. Like, just put it on TV, people will watch it, style television show. And it's called mm -hmm. Jane of All Trades. <laughs> It's about, it's about a lady cop who's just trying to just trying to uh, make her way as a cop, a plumber, <laughs> carpenter, <laughs> masseuse. Yeah, Jane of all trades. Artisan. Wife to Tarzan. Merchant. <laughs> Artisan. Uh, uh, Artisan. <laughs> Um, and then I remember, like, seeing, like, I was so excited. Uh, so, Frank Darabont obviously does Shawshank, does Green Mile. He's doing a new movie that I'm, like, I was I was obsessed with. Like, I remember seeing the previews. I think we've talked about it on the show, like, how excited I was to see The Majestic. It's starring Jim Carrey, like, right after Jim Carrey, like, does Truman Show and Man on the Moon. Two of, like, my favorite movies of all time. And, uh, and Bruce Campbell's in it. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I go and see the majestic opening weekend. I'm a freshman in college. I drag a couple friends with me. Like, it's the worst movie I've ever seen. I didn't say verbally, but it's a terrible movie. Bruce Campbell is in it as a, at one point during the majestic, which is about someone getting blacklisted. Um, and then finding a town where he has amnesia and like just, just getting to know the real America. It was pitched as like this Frank Capra era movie which also as a it's a wonderful life fan i was like like what this is like is this gonna be my favorite movie of all time <laughs> um but uh bruce campbell's in it and guess what he at one point he they jim carrey writes a movie and they go see it it's like a 30 swashbuckling adventure and they you know they see like you see like 45 seconds of the movie on screen before someone like comes and probably says to jim carrey like hey you've been blacklisted or whatever the fuck happens in that movie. And it's uh, Bruce Campbell's the actor on the screen. <laughs> wow. I mean, he does so, have that. He does have that, that, uh, <clears throat> that face where you're like, you could have been an actor in the thirties or in yeah. the twenties in the silent era. And like, 
you wouldn't need a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of makeup um, because he yeah. has an extremely expressive face. He can let you know you could be watching the TV on a shitty old blurry CRTV from 30 feet away through a cloud of weed smoke, uh, mm-hmm. as I have watched uh, Evil Dead a few different times uh, <laughs> no, in that setting. Uh, and uh, you still get Bruce Campbell like yeah. you, you just get him. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about him when he really soars to heights soon. Uh, one of the things about has the best, like one of the best comedy performances yeah. ever put on film. I'm saying, I actually right say now. we we haven't talked about this. I slightly prefer Army of Darkness, but in fairness to me, I watched them in reverse order. <laughs> like, this was the third one I saw. I saw Army of Darkness. That's really bad, actually, for your brain to see, like, the most simplified, least funny one last. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, like, I did, like, I didn't know it was a sequel. Like, we'll talk more about it, but I probably watched it 30 times before finally, like, I watched it probably 30 times in 60 days, Peter. And then, like, I'm like, oh, I should track down that other one. And then I'm like, I guess I should watch the first one. But anyway, uh, that is the order I watched him in. Uh, we'll talk way more about that on the Army Darkness episode. One thing I really appreciated this time, Peter, I, I know you probably agree with this statement. You would say that we like craft, right? As in HP Lovecraft, that we like it. We uh, like oh, yeah. We, we love to craft. I don't love Lovecraft as a person, but I love... Do we have to say it every time? We have literally weeks of us saying this <laughs> yeah, guy's a garbage. And literally person. two months, three months, we're going to go through I it know. again. Yeah, so garbage person. But um, one thing I really appreciated this time, cause, because in the last couple of years, not only have we covered a bunch of Lovecraft movies, it's it always been a connection between me and you when it comes to the game Bloodborne. But also, like, I've read most of his work at this point. I've seen more adaptations and spin-offs and offshoots and uh, thematic appropriations than like I've ever seen in my life, especially in a short period of time. And then not only did I read, I also listened to a ton of the Lovecraft Society's audiobooks of um or audio recordings of Lovecraft's books because he's kind of a dry author. And so getting those guys at the Lovecraft Society who are so good at bringing his prose to life, uh hearing them read the stories is like, I actually think the best way to experience the stories. Uh, great collection on audible too, with uh, where they read every single one of his stories. Fantastic. Cannot recommend it enough, but it made me appreciate like the first time I'd ever heard the phrase Necronomicon, which is a Lovecraft thing was from evil dead. Like I didn't Absolutely, realize 100%. I was, I was very confused when it, like, I remember there was a, you know, there's a movie called Necronomicon, which I still haven't seen, but I was, and it would come up in other movies, and I was very confused. Like, how were they saying Necronomicon? Like, it's from this movie. It's like, if other movies referenced Indiana Jones, like a character, you're like, it, huh. It weirdly makes you say, like, was the Necronomicon a real book? Yeah, it's like, oh, are they drawing off something in history that I'm not aware of or something? Because, like, yeah, it feels invented for these movies. It's obviously, you know, somewhat invented, but definitely obviously taken from Lovecraft. I especially appreciate, though, in this one, rewatching it for the first time in ages, the Lovecraft influence. Like, the narrator, who I forget who who the audio recording of the scientist or the archaeologist who brings brings to life the dead in this movie uh he was a host of turner classic movies at the t- or american movie classics back when amc just like was a turner classic movies uh network in the in the early 80s he does a great job 
of of reading it, but it it really feels Lovecraftian. Like when he describes like we looked in the cave and like in that same tone that feels straight out of uh, a good audiobook version of a Lovecraft prose. And then what ends up happening and the slow realization that in this discovery it's gone too far. Like, I don't want to use – I don't want to become a parody of ourselves by saying Lovecraft too much. But I really appreciated the Lovecraftian touches and obviously a huge improvement from within the woods of uh, – I'm, I'm saying quote unquote out loud just to be clear, Indian burial ground. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this is, that's another grand improvement from within the woods. You're right. Like just being like, oh, it's an ancient Indian burial ground, like that cliche. Um, like, but I really appreciate it as like a, not just a reference to Lovecraft, but as a, all of the reading of the, the, or the playing of the recordings specifically and read by that, um, that voiceover actor that they got feels actually Lovecrafty. It does. It does. Uh, they, it was. It was a. Uh, it was a uh, like a TCM guy or something. It was a. It was, I, do you listen? I just said American movie classics. American movie classics. Yeah. So like it has like that gravitas that you're talking about. Yeah. In a, in a way that like I think the uh the it's the way I read Lovecraft when I'm reading yeah. Lovecraft stories. Like it has that that sort of like grandiose purple prose that I I actually really like reading. Um. And, uh, yeah, them talking about the ruins of Kandar and like, it feels like you're basically getting, it feels like you're getting the, um, little snippets of a Lovecraft story that's being read into a tape. Yes, that is exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, but instead it's being filtered through, um, you know, a bunch of, uh, horny drunk high school, uh, horny drunk college kids, like MSU kids. Um, and and exactly. So they're not living the Lovecraft story, but what brings out their adventure is hearing portions of a Lovecraft story that brought the evil. They don't even have the time to become researchers and get embroiled in the mystery. They're just getting the output of it because somebody is playing the, the tape for that. And, and pretty quickly, no one has anyone to discuss anything with. Like the last half hour of this movie is essentially a silent movie where Bruce Campbell, like you said, like the evil is just finding new ways to fuck with him as he like uh, walks through the house. Like, oh, what if all the outlets and whole, all the holes in the house drip blood yeah. or explode blood? Um, what if, oh, that that f- all those friends that you threw outside, what if they come back all at once? And it's just like – and he just reacts to all of it. It really – like it's a silent film for the last 30 minutes, which – It's when the movie uh, really funnily, shines. I think that's when the movie becomes classic. <laughs> it's Br- Bruce Campbell's face yeah. versus the dead. Yeah. And it actually, funnily enough, was partially done that way, Peter, because I yes. didn't know this until – This was what I was going to talk about earlier time. and then we started talking about Jay Leno's cars. This is what I was going to uh, talk about. Yes, hit us. Yeah, I definitely think that this is important though not as important as that. But um, <laughs> but uh, that uh, they essentially went to go shoot more a year later because they ran out of money and had to go uh, raise a bunch more money, which they did. But by the time they got back, it was just like all the other actors had – they weren't actors. They just moved on with their life. They couldn't go back to Tennessee and reshoot. So it's just a bunch of where they coined the phrase fake shemps. Um, other people in heavy makeup 
um, pretending to be these people uh, possessed by the monster while Bruce Campbell reacts to it. So yeah, they couldn't. That's why I mean, he couldn't even talk to anyone really. It's meta. It's 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 like a meta textually um, very appropriate that like the movie became the movie it was after they basically. <laughs> it's hard to tell from the stories whether people just abandoned them as time went on or you know people's lives went on they had to go back to go back to college or go go back to work or whatever and like eventually they were like shit like well we can't get our actors back we ran out of money again what can we do oh well let's get some of our buddies to dress up as zombies horribly mutilate them to the point that you can't tell it's not the original actor and then shoot bruce because bruce isn't going anywhere he's got money on the line Um, yeah shoot bruce uh shooting against all these people yeah, and you're 100% right. Like, that's where they, that's where the movie sings. That's where, like, the evil dead really starts. There is, um, there is, like, snippets of it. There's, like, portions. There's, like, a little taste. Like, how quickly everything happens when their first friend gets possessed and ends up in the cellar, and then other people get possessed, and there's just, like, a cacophony of, like, overwhelming both evil occurring to a bunch of people that can't handle it along with just like there's a one point where someone screams for over a whole minute and you just are like this had the scream has to be over soon and it just keeps going and going and it's just like you know and the whole time bruce campbell's covering his ears like and this is the first 30 minutes and it's just like this is just overwhelming and one thing we've talked about and and and, and i think then they they make it overwhelming for the last thirty minutes on necessity, and that and that is really where they like why the movie has its reputation, why there were sequels, and it's also why you know the tagline for the second movie is um, uh, the the shoot now I'm I'm forgetting the exact wording of it, but like the ultimate experience in grueling terror, I think is what it is, and people talk about that movie as a fun comedy. Which is 100% true, but as someone who uh, – we talked about this when we did a Spooktober recap that it's also relentless and exhausting for being a movie under 90 minutes because it's always – it never stops being at the highest level. And it really takes like, hey, when we were operating at the last 20 minutes of this movie and like – we don't have people to talk to, so the only way to keep the audience's attention is to keep – just blow like essentially throwing different firecrackers in Bruce's face. What if we do that for ninety minutes? And um, yeah, it is. It is amazing. Like the that last thirty minutes, like the part where the train pipe opens up on him, and then the blood slowly comes out of the outlet, and then everyone comes back, and then like when he thinks he defeats them, these giant fucking inhuman hands burst out of all of their chests and their legs and uh while well, everyone starts melting down and the wind is going and tr- it's just like it's like what is this like i can imagine pe- i'm not surprised that a stephen king walked out of that and was like this is like the fucking best horror movie i've ever seen because what the fuck was that uh yeah i love that stephen king the kingmaker in a sense got to uh, play a role in the story because stephen king still does this he's still on twitter is like i saw this amazing horror movie go check it out like he still and he does the coolest thing ever right where he lets student filmmakers who aren't going to profit on his work adapt his work for a dollar yeah he deals in rights for a dollar yeah 
Yeah, and he's like, he's loaded beyond comprehension. He gives a bunch of his money to charity, and he's still like, he, and this was, you know, not when King was loaded, loaded. He was just, you know, on, yeah. the, on the upswing. It is post The Shining movie, so. Yeah. Which he, which uh, from what I've heard, he loves. Oh, yeah. He's a big fan, huge fan. He just wants to support. Uh, he little, loves The Shining as much as Jay Leno touches this Tonight Show. <laughs> he just wants to support young up and coming filmmaker. Uh, let me check my notes. Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> I mean, it, it's entrancing to see somebody who is so vocal and has such a power over the art form to uh, use that megaphone to be so petty. <laughs> <laughs> it's wait no it's 40 years it's 40 years he's still there was an interview well, from King a seems like a happy ago. dude like he's an interview happy like, well adjusted progressive a lot of a lot of his sort of demons away it seems like his even his kids that he like you know maybe at the time terrified with his his alcohol and coke habits like even now we're like yes yeah he's a good dad we've we've fixed a lot of our issues since childhood because he's put in a lot of work like joe hill talks yeah. about this um yeah. not, not extensively but whenever he gets mentioned his dad he's like yeah me and my dad have a good relationship because me and my dad put the work in like yeah <laughs> It's amazing, though. Like, it just highly we'll, – someday we'll talk about it more. But, like, if you can find that Turner Classic movie, Stephen King, like, retrospective where they go through – I don't even remember the name of it. I'm sure you can find it relatively easily with that description. <laughs> uh, but it's 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 actually worth it because uh, Stephen King talking about his many movies is extremely interesting. But, man, all that stuff about The Shining is just, like, fucking burned into my head. It's so good. But yeah, Stephen King was essentially, like you said, the kingmaker. The boys from Michigan, letting him see an early screener. and, and But uh, not only that quote, but his approval to put it on the posters was was why this movie became so successful. Uh, the gore in the movie is still, I wrote Chef's Kiss with asterisks around it, indicating it's an action. Not a thing you say out loud. <laughs> it is But so the good. gore in this movie is so good. It's so good. It's aged really well. There's a very visceral pulpiness to it. So this actually, let's while we're talking about the gore, let's talk about how they achieved the special effects. So yeah. this is very much an improvised movie. Yes. Very much a, well, all right, well, let's see if this, effects look, if this effect looks good. All right, it looks like much, shit. Much like... Jay Leno storing his money in the I cabinet. I swear to fucking improvised. Christ. I swear to Christ, I will choke you to death. I will come to I will come to Minnesota. I will fly on a plane right now and I will choke you to death with my COVID mask. Uh yeah, that's fine. Good luck finding my money. It's all in the cabin. <laughs> Not about the money for me. It's about the passion. The passion for murder. Well, that's more than Jay Leno's ever had for anything. <laughs> I don't even know what I was talking about now. You have to tell me. This is your job. Fuck. Um I talked about the gore. Yeah, so it has an improvised quality, um, and the, the re and they had to just figure it out on their own because they'd heard some filmmaking techniques, but they were young. Like these weren't like film school kids. Yeah, who had, eighteen like, through twenty, who like had a, a, a whole network to pull from. Like these were these were young kids. What they did was essentially like, all right, well, I want this crazy effect. How do we get there? And they would just try and try and try until they could get it right. But this is also yeah. not something where they had like professional film equipment, like. They if when when Ash shoots a zombie in the face with a shotgun mm -hmm. um, and it, it the face explodes with blood. 
Um, they're shooting a dummy that they have stuffed with blood packets and letting that like making sure that the shot looks amazing because it's going to take them all fucking day to set up that shot again because they don't have a backup. They don't have a plant. They don't have a whole SFX department that's only working on faces that day. Like everybody is working on top of each other. And then Bruce Campbell is shooting a dummy with an actual shotgun, which means the dummy has to not just take like a shotgun load of damage it needs to i think that's why the effects look so great is because the yeah. extra the extra bit of oomph that comes with people like because when you make an actual movie you don't shoot anything with live live ammo you use blanks you use squib packs which are separated and you time the shot so it looks like the person is either you know shooting a blank uh, at something and like there are rare occasions where people are allowed to shoot actual weapons on set but they, they do sort of uh, considerations for these special effects and this they were like well we're in Tennessee what I can do is go up to the street go up to the street to uh, Kmart and get shotgun shells and uh, then I can put the shotgun shells in the shotgun and then I can shoot a thing we need to get everyone out of the way so I can shoot the shotgun shells but that's how it works and the scene where they're shooting um, uh, Ash is considering beheading uh, Linda with the chainsaw that's an actual chainsaw running with blades <laughs> near her neck and you can see her panicked a little bit and Bruce Campbell is literally holding a chainsaw close to another actor's neck like that sort of improvised quality uh, probably breeds a lot of uh, awful onset accidents, but like that sort of rough and yeah, tumble. Yeah, thank God it was uh, Sam Raimi and not John Landis, right? <laughs> yeah, like Sam Sam Raimi probably cared about Let's get all show. our enemies in this episode. Birko. The Evil Dead aesthetic is to break reality to create this sort of like maximalist expression of insanity and gore. And like the extremity is the point. These endless geysers of blood. And like, I know that when they were making this movie, like, yes, they said like the gore, the merrier. They like said like, let's let's go make a movie that's like as aggressive as possible. Yes. But the fact that they didn't have access to like a lot of safe techniques at the time meant that they were doing aggressive uh, camera movements, aggressive special effects shots, which just made the movie just a maximalist, maximalist expression of what they actually wanted inside of themselves, which I think sometimes the effect might have exceeded what they originally wanted because like they were like, oh, yeah, you're going to shoot the thing in the face and then, you know, the cheek is going to get torn open. But instead, the entire head disappears into, you know, a geyser yeah. of blood. And like that, that probably the, that moment, the first time they were all on <laughs> set and they shot something with an actual shotgun and Bruce had to keep acting as they all went cool <laughs> like that you can feel that that energy through the film but not in a, yeah. in a dorky way in a way you're like they're discovering something with this extreme let's throw everything we can at the camera and the the the, the ways that they were like okay but also we need to make sure that this doesn't get nc-17 so they would have like the dead throwing up like milk yeah which they did though which actually transitions into something that we you're probably wondering why wouldn't we talk about and I think we should actually save it for next week because I think there's so we're already really long on this episode. I don't want to end this episode on a part that um, just would it takes I think a little bit more time. But um, and what we're talking about is the is the angry quote unquote molesting tree from uh, and I'm using the name that was given to it in the cabin in the woods a movie or the the rape tree or whatever else which. Is in this movie it um again I think I think talking about it in context of the remake and a lot of the shittier parts about 
both of the movies and the way they're connected makes more sense just because we probably have less to say about the remake than this movie. The one thing I will say about it is um, I can see why it became something that gets associated with this movie because I think horror movies sometimes have like a way of picking the one thing out of it and being a hook that people use to recommend or identify with other people that have seen the movie. And so um, exemplified by like, fuck, I'm using another terrible thing, but like the, there's a scene in American beauty that I think about a lot in the way that like movies get reduced to a moment where uh, Kevin Spacey is talking to that neighbor kid about reanimator. And he says, um, have you seen reanimator? And the kid says, no. And he says, you've never seen the movie where the guy, you know, walks around with his own head on a plate and then, uh, you know, performs fellatio or whatever he says in the movie on a woman. Um, and he goes, no. And like, that was like the identifier. It was gross. It was the most sexual thing in the world of like that movie. Now, if you've seen Reanimator, you know that that is not what defines the movie. But it is a portion of the movie that I can't even remember if we talked about to much extent. It was a long time ago. Um, and actually, that that part feels like less extreme than as as described in the movie. But that's that's a like descriptor of the movie. So I think that a the 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 rape tree in this movie is definitely unneeded. Definitely looks was terrible then. Looks terrible now. I think the effects are interesting. Yeah, it's really well being... executed. It, but it's the, the the point of it is is horrific. It has all of the all of the language of of rape, and it's it's like which thankfully they like. I, I'm Sam Raimi would say that he has said that he would have taken it out. He was 19. He was 20. He was trying to figure out how to be extreme in a bunch of different areas, which I think, as we've talked about for this movie, succeeded. In all of those areas, except this one, and and the sexual nature of the extremity uh, moments or, like, uh, the humor of going ten times bigger than you were expected is uh, any sort of sexual assault or rape is not the area to do that and was wisely dropped from his next two movies. Like, I think there's almost, like, they are pretty sexless for the most part besides, like, making out <laughs> – or like, I'm going to, you know, bed down with my girlfriend. There's like, they leave out the like, especially Evil Dead 2. Like, we're going to go big. We're not going to go big on sexual violence. As a matter of fact, there's going to be no sexual violence. That 100% was the right decision. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely like, it's it's so like watching it again for the first time. I haven't seen this movie in probably like 10 years. Uh, even though I've seen the, the other two so often. <laughs> like I don't think there's ever been a break for them. It was amazing like how much longer and worse it was than I remembered. And uh, it lasts forever. Yeah, it lasts so long and then gets continues to get progressively worse. And it, you know, I recognize why dude frat bros, bros or whatever else would use this as the you've never seen evil dead you know the one with the rape tree fucking cabin in the woods made by ultimate dude bro uh drew goddard and josh whedon like i love that movie but they are very much the feminists who you know we don't need to get into josh whedon right now but like you know that 
I, you know, that was a big part of that board. Like, oh, yeah, they referenced the angry molesting tree. How funny is that? Like, anyhow, it's, uh, I, 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 I think Sam Raimi is right when he says, worth taking out. I wish I could take it out. Um, but, uh, I didn't include it in other movies because it's garbage and I was a dumb kid who didn't understand uh, why people would rightly take offense to it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's hard to marvel at, at the technical skill in service to something mm-hmm. so disgusting, but it, it, it is like yeah. it is like really effective. And because of that, it's hard to just like laugh it off. Like because it's well, I think so that's well why it became a calling like, card too. Yeah. Right? Like because it looks it, it's such it is an effective scene. It's a gross scene, but it is an effective scene. Yeah, yeah. And it, it it's it's um I think that kind of points me towards my final thoughts in that Great. like I think that scene is I think a lot of people haven't seen The Evil Dead in a long time. I mean yeah. I think a lot of people haven't seen it. And I'm not I haven't. I think that a lot of people remember the Evil Dead 2 onward as what the series is and they don't remember what this movie is and warts and all like it, it has the tree rape scene but it also has like a, a, an amazing sequence of Ash just all alone fending off the dead vying yeah. for any sort of like stability and sanity and the establishing of this great character, like one thing that's amazing about this character is like it, it, this movie is not funny. It's 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 just really not. Um, it, there's a few funny little gags at the beginning when they're on their way to the the um, the cabin, like them driving over the bridge and the bridge sort of being creaky and shitty, um, or them like you know sort of laughing at rednecks on the way up, which is uh, I believe it's Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert. It um, is, yeah. And uh, like there's just a few little jokes to like add some add some levity, but within ten minutes the movie is a straight horror movie that's not funny at all. And I feel like uh, you can laugh at it if you're a, a, a approaching it from the sort of ironic distance but i don't i disagree i don't well, think, sorry i don't want to disagree with your I, final thoughts I, I don't i don't i think you i think like there are moments when you can like laugh as like like oh this is so much fun but i don't think that there are any jokes in this movie the way that evil dead that's 2 is full yeah. of jokes laughing l- laughing with the movie for being fun is a very different thing than like laughing with the movie for being funny but you don't think i mean legitimate question like I'm not saying it's a wall to wall of this, but like there's that part where um I forget who, uh what what's her name? The the one who didn't who is the fifth wheel who gets possessed first. Oh shit. Um It's it's Ash's sister, right? Yeah, and her, her the actress's name is Ellen or something. Um but anyways, so when she gets possessed and floats above and she does that weird like for no reason marionette thing. And then goes on to, like, have doom. I don't think that's a shitty effect. I think that is a, like, as we talked about, I think that's the joy, right? I think it's a joke. And I also think that because that is something that becomes bigger and more pronounced in future movies. Like, whenever they possess someone, they kind of do a little, like, that is more clearly supposed to be funny. Like, you know, like, in the weird, like, marionette dances. But there, that is in this movie. And I don't think it's in this movie to be uh, scary or weird. I think it. I think it's supposed to be a joke. 
But literally Maybe in Evil Dead 2, there's uh, there's uh, a, a, a book falls on Ash's head after he's, he's lost his, he's chopped his own hand off, where it says a farewell to arms. Yeah, like, I mean, oh, no, Evil Dead 2 is like... It's a straight up comedy. comedy. And I think people yeah. haven't seen the Evil Dead in a long time to remember, like, its strengths and uh, its, its, its drawbacks. And I still think it's like a masterwork of indie filmmaking like in general yeah. like i think this is this is the definition of like what indie films can do without corporate oversight and like i wish they had a little bit more money so they could have been safer when they were producing the movie but um the fact that 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 that, that they were able to produce this on such a minuscule budget is truly shocking um and the fact that it's yeah. such a fully formed aesthetic the Evil Dead aesthetic is so fully formed. Uh, these extreme editing shot compositions to creep you out, the sort of improvised quality, the way that you feel like you're losing it. But the most important part is I think you're, you feel like you're losing it alongside Ash. Like yeah. any outsider would make any outsider that walked in the scene would make him out to be a killer on an epic scale. Like, they would just find all these corpses and be like, Ash, <laughs> you murdered all of these people, which happens in Evil Dead too. Um, the group shows up and assumes that Ash has just killed a bunch of people as opposed to zombies. Um, it has minimal grounding, little sense of control. Uh, you know, the filmmaker is in control, but and that's what keeps it from being annoying. But you're not in control. Um, even when it's just like power washing the senses, you know, Sam Raimi's doing it for a purpose. And I think that that's, that's the point. You're losing it with Ash. So like, I love the idea of this being like a Lovecraft movie where like the crew has absolutely zero time to analyze the book of the dead or analyze the readings. They're just reading other people's accounts of it. Like this is like third hand, whatever research. Um, and the there's a line creatures may lay dormant but are never truly dead um and then there's a line also where she says it's not gonna let us leave essentially the movie saying like it's it's embracing this sort of cosmic horror you are out of control sam raimi is the filmmaker sam raimi is the one who's in control rob tapper bruce campbell like the filmmakers are in control here so just hand yourself over there's a few moments where there's a few moments where the film is co- veers from cosmic horror um, in, into more like Judeo-Christian style horror. Like sometimes the demons being sort of tormentors feels very like hell-like. Um, and the fact that they're like, they're, even the tree rape, it feels like that's a hell-like thing. Like the idea of demons being these like our worst impulses, they're lustful Um and they're they're cheap and they crack they crack mean jokes like they're they're uh, the fact that the the demons have sort of human foibles um kind of you know pushes this more towards the judeo-christian thing but that mix between the like yeah like maybe these demons have sort of a hell like uh, a hell like apparatus to it but it doesn't mean you have any more grip on what's happening you just need to survive the night and try and hold on to whatever sanity you have and that's why this movie is so amazing because it's essentially from the moment from the word go the uh, sam raimi's impressionistic filmmaking is making you go crazy along with ash at the same rate ash is going crazy <laughs> yeah i think that's perfect and um yeah, it's it's so good at that. It's and it and it does expound on that in uh especially Evil Dead 2 of like yeah, how can he answer for all this and there's just so much and no wonder like 
he's he's trying to like solve for it and failing and like you feel his failures but you also like feel like he just he wants to be an action hero that can get out of the situation and is just incapable incapable of it for a, a variety of reasons i yeah i I, you know, I used to – when I used to – so I saw all these, like I said, it was like sophomore, junior high school, relatively early in my high school career. More than enough times to force all three of these movies on a lot of my friends. Um, yeah, I, I remember uh, watching this for the first time like at 2 in the morning at a party with like 15 people after I'd showed them Army of Darkness and Evil Dead too. Like I was committed to showing people these movies in the same order that I had for some bizarre reason. Um, mainly because I was most excited to show people Army of Darkness and then was like, oh, if you like that, you know that it's actually – it's part three. It's a part, part three. You got to see the other two. Uh, I don't know why I did that. But I think it was because I wasn't confident that if I showed them Evil Dead, um, that they would get all the way to Army of Darkness. Uh, which isn't necessarily fair because I really do I really do love this movie. But that's, that's where my head was at anyways, Peter. But I used to describe this trilogy – to my friends as the first one was a straight horror movie that had uh, over the top moments that um, were accidentally funny. Can I interject really quickly also? Like yeah. there's a traditional kind of score in the movie and moments of legitimate drama like Ash mourning over Linda. So it's like who fucking knows? Like there, it's not just Raimi clowning on people like it's no, some, yeah. at some points you're like, oh, wait, this is a real movie. And it happens in Evil Dead 2. It happens in Army of Darkness. Yep. Sometimes Raimi's like, I want real drama right here. We're going to stop the movie for real drama right now. Yeah. And I, I – so, I mean, I didn't know anything about Raimi or Bruce Campbell. Keep in mind, I'm like reading IMDb trivia. I don't even think yet and just showing this movie to people. But my sense was from watching all three was that the first one was a horror movie that people laughed at and – um, that made them in the sequel make a horror movie that was purposely funny with still all the gross stuff but but add a lot of jokes and then the way I described the third one was that they said fuck it let's just do whatever the hell we want um, and I don't think that's like knowing a lot more about movie making my 15 year old summation of a, a trilogy isn't quite accurate but um, I do think the part that I was somewhat in tune with was that people saw this first one as a horror movie that had um, laughs in the same way a roller coaster has laughs. Like, it is so big in so many different spots, especially the end, but like I said, even that moment where there's just, this person's possessed and the person in the basement's happening and he stabbed your girlfriend and uh, also he's, he's he just ripped off his arm and someone else is screaming really loud. Like, where at the end of it, you almost laugh from relief. Like, I made it through this. Like, I'm not scared to my core. I'm not like waking up like I just saw fucking martyrs for the first time or something and I'm like, okay, well hold on, I need a I need a second to regroup or or possession or something. And like for you know, you're kind of weird for a day because the the fear infected you. This is much more of a roller coaster and it's all there and what is especially impressive about this series as we go on to the next 
we'll take a little pause on a remake of this one and then continue on is that Raimi figured out he made an amazing indie horror movie that's that's easily four four and a half stars great movie exists fine on its own uh, exceeds so much of uh, the horror movies of its day and its ilk and then he f- figured out every part that worked and expanded it and times it by 10 or 100 or however you want to do that math and found all the parts that didn't work and cut them out of the movie. And that is why when we get to Evil Dead, it really is like it's it, there's a reason that this movie is sidelined, Peter, to your point, is because not that it's deservedly sidelined on its own. But you rarely get a sequel that figures out every single fucking thing that worked, keeps it, doubles down on it, and finds every single thing that didn't quite work and takes it out of the movie. And that's why, like, even, you know, when you talk about greatest sequels, stuff like that, and people bring up Terminator and Godfather and Aliens and all the classic ones, you go, yeah, Aliens is great, figures out all this action stuff, but it's not the haunted house space horror movie as this one. And yeah, Terminator 2 is the, you know, this great bloated expanding mythology, but it's not the straight, like, I'm going to hunt you down narrative. Like, you can find things that are different, and I and I do think that Evil Dead 2, like, just figured it out really well. But it couldn't have figured it out if there wasn't so many perfect parts of it right here at the beginning. Yeah, that's uh, that's well put, Aaron. I think it's a good capper for for this week. But yeah, so we have so much more to talk about Evil Dead. What it so became, much. and like Evil Dead Two, we can talk about the comedic contrast between the two and how you know where these will all be eight hour episodes. Yeah, and they better be. Most of it won't be a Jay Leno impression, but some of it will be. So you're saying 51% will be about Evil Dead? Yes. I can commit to you 51%. <laughs> no more, no less. I'm not saying it's going to be 51%, but I can commit. If, if I do a jail out impression for three hours, we'll record three hours and two and three minutes on, on Evil Dead. Um, yeah, but next week we're doing Evil Dead 2013. It makes the most sense, I think, for us to... Instead of circling back at the end after we do this amazing trilogy and talking about a movie that Peter and I are both fans of, but let's face it, like it's not as good as any of these three, right? No. Okay. So it makes sense to do the remake now. Like yeah. we're going to do the remake of um, of Evil Dead right after it. We're going to do Evil Dead 2 with a guest. We'll say the Sam Raimi to Peter's Ted. That's a, that that's a good – that's a good uh... – that's a good uh, comparison. Or I'm the Sam Raimi to his Bruce Campbell. Uh, sure. Yeah, I guess you would be in that math. Yeah, that works perfectly. And I'm in either scenario, I'm Rob Tappert. <laughs> Slightly older. Uh, and I produced, as many people know, Xeno Warrior Princess and Mary the Star. Um, the, uh, uh, but we're doing Evil Dead 2. That does make you really a Rob Tappert type. I mean... <laughs> If you're going to get down to brass tacks, yeah. yeah. That is Marrying Lucy Lawless most people make you a Rob Tapper. And I'm the oldest among the three of us and also married Lucy Lawless in 1998 after producing her spinoff show. Yeah, I mean, I see that. Now that you say it like that, Peter, I do see the similarities. In, in, in some ways, um, you're more like Rob Tappert than any of us are like Raimi's, uh, <laughs> brothers Raimi or... Uh, Campbell's brotherless. 
Yeah, Eye of the Beholder, I guess. I don't know if, um, I don't know if uh, Bruce Campbell has a brother, but he uh, didn't uh, star in any cult movies in the 80s, so just not interested. Yeah, um, it'd be cool if, if he had a brother named Bruce Campbell, but I doubt that's true because I just made it up and it's only funny. <laughs> y'all got any so so Bruce so Campbell? It'd be cooler if you did. <laughs> um, uh, and then we're doing Army of Darkness with uh, best friend of the show, Carrie Nelson. Uh, so excited we we put show. she she hasn't been on the show since February her although her presence is always felt as our EP, um, and uh, the, yeah the producer is the producer's presence is is felt in every moment and every day when I wake up in the morning I feel the presence of the producer. Yes, uh, and Peter's going to therapy to fix that, but it's not working. Not taking. In fact, it is getting worse. I sh- probably should not have gone to therapy with Carrie as my therapist. And Carrie, Carrie was not your therapist. This is this is all. Carrie is a wonderful person. This is all going on in Peter's head. But let's just, you know, it's Spooktober. Sometimes things get a little spooky. Like imagining someone who's guested on the show a few times is your therapist, and is there when you wake up in the morning. It's fine. Don't worry about. It. Let's just move past as quickly as possible. But so excited when Carrie decided to. Uh, pick Army of Darkness for her next appearance because uh, it is my favorite of the series. It is also one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, top ten. Like, I, I've i seen this movie as much as I've seen, like, Raiders or Back to the Future. I am uh, – yeah, I am not healthily – or there was a stretch in my life, like a, like a couple things that, like – I was probably not healthily obsessed with this movie. I got to get all the posters. Oh, I got the poster. I found a bigger poster. It's the same image, image but slightly bigger. Um, but, uh, and then we're doing, uh, yeah, Ash versus the Evil Dead, the whole thing. We'll, we'll, we'll post, we'll, as we get closer to that, we'll mention some episodes that we're going to drill down in. But we're going to cover the whole show for a Halloween special. And also in between all this, like I said, we'll be posting short Spooktober uh, recaps as well about what Peter and I are watching as we watch 31 days or a minimum of 31 of new to us horror movies. So yeah, can't wait, Peter. It's going to be a great October. I imagine they're all going to be very long episodes because I can't. Uh, this is up there in series that I have a lot to say about and I know you do as well. So uh, Yeah, that's like too much. It just frankly cut me off. I, I cut you off in the silence with me stabbing you with a pencil. Good night! Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. 
show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) 